and welcome to the Conservative Atheist Podcast. I'm your host, the Conservative Atheist, and we're going to be discussing some of the hottest, controversial, and in many cases considered taboo topics. We cover every issue you've ever considered, and several you haven't even thought of, from the unique perspective of a conservative atheist. Enjoy! Welcome back to the Conservative Atheist Podcast. I'm your host, the Conservative Atheist. And today we're going to go over a an interview between Pierce Morgan and Vivek Ramaswamy. And uh, I'm going to go over it bit by bit, and, we're, and I'm, we're going to discuss it. Or I'm going to discuss it, and hopefully you'll, you'll listen. Um, Vivek Ramaswamy, if it wasn't for Donald Trump, uh, I'm, obviously, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. It wasn't for wasn't for Trump. I would be voting for Vivek Ramaswamy. Um, he's an excellent candidate, I think, and I'll be shocked. I'll be extremely shocked if he isn't um, if he isn't one of the uh, if he isn't a president president a presidential candidate again and, and eventually president um, in the very near future in the relatively near future. Um, Yes, he doesn't have a whole lot of uh, experience politically, but the guy's a self-made billionaire at age 38. Um, that's impressive. I mean, yeah, there are people like, um, oh, uh, Mark Zucker, Zuckerberg that uh, was a self-made billionaire by 23, but still this is anybody that can be a billionaire, period, at any age, but especially still in their 30s is absolutely brilliant and can't say enough think good things about the guy. I agree with virtually everything he says. Not everything he says, because I don't agree with him. Trump on everything he says. I don't agree with anybody on everything they say. But that's just the nature of being honest and thinking for yourself. If you agree with anybody on everything, then you're not thinking for yourself. You're not a, you're not a serious human being. And so... I really enjoy him as a candidate. I enjoy listening to him speak. I'd love to do an interview with him, which is um, which is obviously out of the question at this point. Um, but I'm excited. I'm extremely excited about doing uh, about hearing the rest of what he has to say. And I, I'm wonder. I'm I'm curious if there's going to be upcoming debates. If there is, I've heard there is going to be. And if there is, I look forward to him participating. All right. Let's start with the interview and. Of course, my commentary. Thank you so much indeed uh, for joining me today. It's very timely. You're here in Las Vegas for the annual Republican Jewish Coalition. And they're one of the most important voices in the American Republican Party. You just came off stage. You made a blistering speech. There's no two ways about that. This was full-on, hardcore, pro-Israel. And it's come at a moment when many people are going the other way. The ground invasion has started as many more thousands of Palestinians are getting killed. As other people are perhaps beginning to wobble with their support for Israel, you've hardened yours. Why? Well, it's interesting you say that, Pierce, because I've just taken criticism in the other direction as well. 
So before, yeah. Well, well, even even from today's mm. speech, really, it's the point is it's a little bit different than what anybody else is saying. On one hand, and this is the core of my message today, I support Israel's right to national self-defense. It is an absolute right, and Israel should be free to pursue. It's it's the right of every country, and uh, for some reason, people people on the left have decided that people that Western civilization has no right to self-defense. And of course, Israel is a, a very important part of Western civilization. Whatever solution Israel wants to pursue, that is their judgment to make without a second guessing them. On the other hand, I believe that that is Israel's decision to make and Israel's mission to carry out. And the scope of the U.S. involvement in this needs to be providing diplomatic cover, a diplomatic iron dome, as I call it, for Israel to carry that out. But at the same time, without military engagement. So there are voices in multiple different camps that would have criticisms of some element of what I've said. Many in the neocon movement in the United States or the old neocon movement would say that I should unapologetically and unabashedly support U.S. military engagement. I don't. I'm an America first conservative, but I also support Israel pursuing an Israel first agenda. And I think that if we in the United States go back to our founding ideals, I quoted George Washington's farewell speech where he warned against unnecessary foreign entanglements but also go back to David Ben-Gurion's vision for Israel. That's really the true strength of the U.S.-Israel relationship is when it's grounded in the self-interest of each nation, in that honesty. And so, yes, I, I'm a little bit different than but the traditional politicians, me, but that's where I come out. I want to read, I want to be precise about yes, this. Yes, I, I was, as I was waiting. So his position is, is that we should, uh, you know, give them cover as far as uh, diplomatically. We should openly support the country defending itself, but we shouldn't send any troops. I, I don't see the need to send troops. And as far as I know, Israel is not asking anybody to send troops. So I don't know why anybody's even talking about that. ...to interview you. I was looking at your tweets uh, today, actually, about Israel. And it just seemed to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed to me you'd suddenly decided uh, to take a much more direct and tough position and he said this now is the moment for israel to return to its founding premise the jewish state has an absolute right to exist a divine gift gifted to a divine nation charged with a divine purpose israel has an absolute unequivocal right and responsibility to defend itself to the fullest applying the only language its adversaries understand the language of force and what would david ben gurion say don't depend on anyone else's fleeting sympathies or permission to do it if Israel wants to destroy Hamas, Israel should go ahead and destroy Hamas. If it okay, Israel should destroy Hamas, unless they want to continue on dealing with this. The similar attacks to uh, October the 7th. If they want to continue to deal with things like that over and over and over again, then not destroying Hamas will do that. So they need to destroy Hamas. And while they're on a roll, they should probably take care of Hezbollah to the north. But hey, that's just my opinion. Israel wants to destroy Hezbollah, yep. Israel should go ahead and destroy Hezbollah. I agree. If Israel and Mossad want to pull off Munich 2.0 and take out every last leader of Hamas, whether they're hiding from Doha to Dresden and host a red wedding at the Four Seasons in Qatar, they should go ahead and do it. Now, when I read that, I was, I was a bit taken aback because your rhetoric about Israel, I would say before all this, back in the summer, was not as strident as this. Well, so, and I'm I mean, this isn't the wake of an attack. What I'm saying is the principle is the same. The U.S. should not be involved. 
But when the U.S. is not involved, I think that's better for the U.S. It's also better for Israel. But is it, it, it here's the question I'm going to ask you. It, it sounds to me like your support for Israel is they can do what the hell they like. Yes. But you want to be president mm. of the United States. And there are many people in America, you know this, who are extremely concerned about the proportionate scale of the... Proportionate, my ass. Who was talking about proportionate when we were hit by it in Pearl Harbor? Who was talking about proportionate when uh, the, uh, the Brits were attacking uh, different cities in Germany after the Germans had bombed London? Uh, who, who was talking about uh, proportionality? Oh, well, probably a few idiots. After 9-11, nobody was. Or virtually nobody, nobody, anybody serious. Israeli response already. And it's only likely to get a lot worse before anything is resolved here. Is your support for them unconditional? Because it sounds like it is. My they, support they, for they mine is, right to unconditional. self-existence and self-defense and carrying out whatever the heck they think is appropriate in response to the attack submitted on them? Yes, it is not our job to get involved in this in one direction or another. But it is the American president's job, actually, to get involved in all these things. Because America... I, I, I don't no. think so, actually. And that's where not. I differ from people in both let me, let me rephrase it. Historically, it's been America's position in the world to be leader of the free world, to be almost the world's global policeman. And it sounds to me, if you were to become president, what you're saying is any country can, in interests of its own self-defense can do what the hell it likes, and you won't condemn it. Is, is there no limit to that? Well, look, I think that within the bounds of following international law, right, within the bounds of the legal framework that we all abide by, yes, it's not our job to be the global policeman. And, and I think there's a lot to what you said there, Pierce, that's true. Historically, especially if you look at the last 25, 30, 40 years, mm -hmm. that has been the role of the United States, is to try to play this role of global cop. Well, I'm running for president of the United States of America. And my job as the U.S. president is to look after American interests. Exactly. The, the, the role of the president, people keep talking about how, uh, oh, the president's a nationalist. When they said that about Trump, well, so what? I hope, what, I hope every leader of every country is a, is a nationalist. That means you put your nation first. That only stands to reason. That's like saying that, you know, a man puts his family before other families. Well, of course he does. I would hope so. I would hope that he puts his wife and kids above other people's wives and kids. That's a shift from the neoconservative view. It's a shift from the model of liberal hegemony. And I think part of this is because I come from a different generation that has seen the costs of six and a half trillion dollars of our national debt attributable to the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan that did not advance U.S. interests, thousands upon thousands of innocent lives sacrificed in those two wars alone. Yes, I grew up into a generation where we saw that. I reject that vision. But that means we have to practice what we preach in all directions. That means this is Israel's right to defend itself. They should be unconstrained and unrestrained. The IDF can, I believe, get its own job done. For those who would call for U.S. military involvement, I say no. My view to Iran is you stay out and we stay out, and that's something that will keep Iran out, and we stay out of it as well. But that's a different view also than saying that then I'm somehow going to second guess what decisions Israel makes. No, Israel has a right to national self-defense. Exactly. If Iran comes in, that's a different story. We have to put a, we have to put a boot in Iran's, Iran's ass if they come in. No doubt about it. But as long as, as, long as Iran stays out, it's between Israel and, and Hamas.
police. But the United States sends a lot of money to Israel every year. Good. You in the summer indicated, you didn't say categorically, and I know you've been misrepresented in some of the language that people have used about what you did say, but you certainly suggested that by 2028 you'd like Israel to be autonomous from American investment. I said it would be a good destination if we did get there. I personally think this will be better both for Israel and for the United States if that's a destination we're able to get to. Now, to be clear, from a U.S. standpoint, pragmatically speaking, I've said that we will not cut off aid to Israel, that annual aid, until Israel says they're ready for it. But actually, go back and look at Bibi's speech to Congress in 1996. He said that we have reached something like the end of our infancy, and it is time for Israel to stand on our two feet. That's approximately what he said in 96. Bibi's running Israel but today. But until America stops sending the money, America does have a vested interest in what Israel does. Well, I think that's a product of prior commitments. But my view is right, the sixteen billion dollars. as we sit here. Well, as we sit here, the sixteen billion dollars that Congress is debating now. Most Republicans favor it. Most many Democrats favor it. I don't. I say this hundred six billion dollar aid package. Forget about it. We have a thirty three trillion dollar national debt crisis in this country, a border crisis in the United States of his. Okay, that's what drives me crazy. We're worried about every country on the planet, but we're not securing our own borders proportions. My job as the U.S. president is to deal with that right here at home. And yes, I stand for Israel's right to absolutely pursue its national self-defense. You don't want to help? Not militarily. Diplomatically, I do. Diplomatically, standing for their right to do it. I think but the UN is a Netanyahu, and he's coming under a lot of fire himself, but he would probably say, well, hang on. What does that mean? You're going to put this Iron Dome diplomatically around us. Yes, just, the UN. Look at what the Secretary General of the but UN said. say we've condemn. always relied on America to be there for us militarily, to be there for us financially. You've well, we are been, there financially. As in, I said, we stand one by... one of our greatest allies. Well, as you noted, I stand by our commitments. We have $3.8 billion in aid that's going to Israel. I don't propose cutting that off. We've made that 10-year commitment for a reason. Yeah, once we make a promise like that, once we make a deal... We can't just yank the rug out from under anybody. But I think actually, I'm not sure that that's exactly what Bibi would say. But I gave you what Bibi's address to Congress was in 1996. It's also call out the unspoken truth here, Piers. One unspoken truth of those carrier groups going to the conflict area. Part of the reason they're there is also to keep play Big Brother to Israel, to sort of say what Israel can and can't do. Yeah, but, 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 so I say go sure. back to David Ben-Gurion's founding vision for Israel. That's what I would tell Bibi. I get that. You do what you need to okay. do. Okay, but I would say to you, the reason actually those carriers have been sent in is because it is absolutely in America's national interest what happens now in this war. Because if things were to escalate, and just before I sat down with you, I saw a statement from the, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, extremely censorious, demanding an immediate ceasefire, saying that they think this, this could be a disaster for the region. You... Israel would be absolutely crazy at this point to agree to a ceasefire. Hamas needs destroyed, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, they have to be eliminated. You've got President Erdogan of Turkey calling Israel overtly war criminals now in a, at a rally in, in Turkey. This is really escalating fast. So I think we need to de-escalate it. I don't think our military gonna, presence there helps that. I'm going to come to how that may or may not transpire. But the idea that this is not relevant or pertinent to America's national interest is for the birds, isn't it? Well, I'm not saying that it's not relevant or pertinent what's happening in the world. My question is, does our military engagement help our national interest? And that's a different question. What about the... No, our military engagement 
is a, is a very bad idea. Um, it could escalate the war, bring Iran in, bring other countries in. Uh, we need to keep this between Israel and Hamas. And then if Israel wants to t turn its sights on Hezbollah, that's fine too. Attacks we're seeing on American troops all around. Exactly the proves my point. Why do we have troops in Syria? Why do we have troops in Iraq? Yeah, why do we, we have troops in Syria? Public. Yes, most people before this began the last two weeks, they would tell you we don't even have a presence in Syria and Iraq. That's what we've been led to believe. So we have sitting targets, and now we're going to create more sitting targets. What are those sitting targets when they're hit? They're accidental tripwires. Yep. That's how major conflicts result when nobody on either side of that conflict has an interest in getting into it. So I worry when you have a loose network of even loosely... We definitely shouldn't have any troops in Syria. ...affiliated, renegade banned groups, Islamic terrorist groups that are only not even centrally managed in any way. You cross a tripwire, and my rule of thumb for the U.S., as a commander-in-chief, I'll say it now, I'll say it again. If you hit us, we will hit you back ten times harder. That's just a rule I'll stick but, to. But, not but if they're hitting us on bases that we shouldn't have been in in the first place, we're creating the opportunities... For escalation into larger scale regional war that doesn't advance but America so I would bring them home okay Syria and Iraq but America has kept troops at a lot of bases around that region I'd get them out really yeah yeah I would too I would eliminate those bases um, those people hate us no matter what we do and so why should we sacrifice American lives in places like Syria absolutely not because the whole purpose of them being there is to try and maintain some sort of order amid a lot of and I, think it's, and I think it's been unsuccessful. I mean, of course if you look it is. at right now, the fact... Listen, the Islamic world is the barbaric world. They're absolutely knuckle-dragging barbarians. And nothing is going to make them better. You simply have to isolate them. That we have that presence, I'm going to stick specifically to Syria and Iraq, let's be precise. I don't think that that has serves any strategic purpose. To the contrary, it creates sitting duck targets in moments like these exactly. that unnecessarily create tripwires for major regional conflict in the Middle East. And so nobody has given me a good answer. And it's, I don't think nobody's given the American people a good answer. There are no good answers. On why the heck we are still in Syria and Iraq. We shouldn't be. There's no strategic interest at issue there. It's strictly downside risk, especially in times of emotional response like this. It's a bad idea all the way down. So I stand by that principle. Now, I'm not some sort of pacifist isolationist for the sake of being an ideologue about it. No, I look at every individual region of the world, every theater, through the lens of American self-interest. And I worry, Piers, the ultimate winner in this is actually going to be China. Watching us, if we are mired in another large-scale, regional, prolonged, no-win war in the Middle East, China's the beneficiary of that. And you look at the amount of munitions we've given to Ukraine, about 1.5 million rounds of artillery. Now we're producing about twenty to 40,000 per month in the U.S., closer to 20,000. In fact, it was not that long ago that 300,000 of those rounds that we held in Israel were sent to Ukraine. Right. Which should have never been the case. I mean, I, I, I agree that we should support the Ukraine somewhat just to put a thumb in Putin's eye and keep him from um, being emboldened to do more invasions and to uh, take all of uh, the Ukraine and maybe other states in the area. But uh, there's got to be a limit somewhere. So this isn't an endless cycle or pot that runs infinitely deep. The foundation of war is economics, actually. And our economic and industrial base does not have it in it relative to even other points in our national history for us to be able to opt into multiple of these conflicts at the same time. 
as U.S. President, as the Commander-in-Chief, when it comes to war, my principle is simple. War and our involvement in it is never a preference. It would only ever be a necessity. But I worry that many of the steps that we're taking, the people here are taking, in the United States of America are sleepwalking us into World War III at a time where we can't afford it. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree. First of all, I think if we completely cut aid to the Ukraine, um, it's going to embolden China. And I've heard other people say this, but it's going to embolden China. Well, if they, they, they allow the Ukraine to be taken by Russia, maybe they'll, they're weak enough that they'll, you know, they, they're indecisive enough to let uh, China take Taiwan. And it's just a, it's, you know, a domino effect that could really affect our influence and strength in the world. And eventually lead to World War III, one way or another. The United Nations uh, voted a, a motion for ceasefire in this war. Who cares? The United States voted against that motion. The United Kingdom, my country, abstained. Where do you sit on that? I think the United Nations has outlived its purpose. I agree. I really think that the statements that Secretary General Guterres met, made, I think, on Wednesday this week, were offensive. They were senseless in nature, trying to draw false equivalence between Israel's behaviors versus the Hamas attacks on Israel. That false equivalence is everything you might. If I see it from a 19-year-old freshman at Harvard College, I call the kid lost and hungry in search of purpose and meaning. But to see this from the Secretary General of the UN, that's toxic. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. I have no respect for anybody that equates what what the, the the what Hamas did to Israel on October the seventh to Israel's response defending itself and the methods they use. Anybody that thinks they're the same is is obviously confused or just plain evil. I personally think that we should have an open conversation about the U.S.'s continued involvement in the UN. I don't think that that should be a foregone conclusion. Really, if you think about a, a body whose Human Rights Council is staffed by the rights of Venezuela. And North Korea, it's North farce. Korea. Jesus Christ! It doesn't Christ. serve an actual coherent purpose, and so this is just good. Can you believe that they would let North Korea uh, cover human rights? <laughs> That's, it's insane. There's the statements in the last week, or just I mean, what he said. What he said to of an institution that's outlived its purpose. He said it's important to recognize a massive attack didn't happen in a vacuum, and Palestinians have been subjected to five decades of suffocating occupation. Now. I agree with the criticism. Okay, so Israel pulled out of Gaza back in 2005. Um, Hamas was elected the leaders of the controlling party of the Gaza Strip in 2006. So that's like pulling out of Germany, you know, after a short period, you know, completely pulling out of Germany after World War II. And they turn around and, and elect Nazi leaders again very badly worded because he was trying to imply that somehow the Israeli... I mean, the timing of that versus him saying that six I, months ago yeah, so is, I don't, is I don't two disagree. conversations. But on, his, yeah, but on the wider point he was clumsily trying to make, I think, it is indisputable that the Palestinians have been suffering repression now for many decades. It's indisputable, you go back to 1948, oh, that hundreds of thousands of them were displaced from their homes, and that was the catalyst for everything that's followed. And you can argue, as some journalists have been doing this week, I think very powerfully, actually Jewish journalists that I respect very highly, saying you can, you can say that both sides have just cause, historically. 
No, you can't. You can't say both sides have just cause. The the Hamas comes in, they they rape the women, they uh, they do things like chop the babies, decapitate babies, chop their heads off. They stick babies in ovens, and they shoot they shoot entire families, or torture them first and then shoot them. And uh, the IDF actually tries to evacuate um, civilians and tries to just target Hamas. Uh, not the same at all. Over the land issues and everything else. But this attack on October the 7th was a, a completely different scale yeah. of attack. And I don't think you should look at anything else but that in terms of what is Israel's response. And the question for me, having said that, and I think you would agree with that, is what is proportionate here? So, I'm so goddamn sick of hearing what's proportionate. Throw proportionate out the window. I, I want to be very clear about where I stand on this as someone running for U.S. president. I'm not running for president of the U.N., secretary general of the U.N., whatever it is. I'm not running for president of Israel. I'm running for president of the United States of America. And my prison, and I think that this is going to be the foundation of a future that will lead to greater peace in the United States and I think around the world is to be very candid that my decisions will be made through one filter. What advances the interests of the United States of America? And I don't believe that it advances the United States of America for us to assume the position of a shadow ICJ, an international court of justice, deciding what is or isn't proportionate from our armchair position in Washington, D.C., when we have problems of our own and threats of our own to deal with. And so my view is, again, Pierce, this is part of the broken foreign policy establishment in both political parties. Once you've crossed that Rubicon, then yes, you're committed to take stances okay. on each of these let questions. Me, let me ask you this. As it's a... not my job to adjudicate okay. this as the U.S. president. There are the injustices in this country to most of the American people. I mean, that's a massive departure. That. that would be that a, is a massive, massive departure. departure for any American president to say it's something to do with us, right? I would say that Trump took us a step in that direction, but this is a very different direct. This is, this is far further in that direction. Yeah, Trump did take us in that direction. He tried to squash any foreign war, any new foreign wars, and he was prepared to pull out of certain areas. Not the you know bumbling, moronic way that uh, that Biden did in, in Afghanistan, but he was definitely interested in pulling out of different areas that he didn't feel we needed to be in. Trump, if he was sitting here now, he wouldn't be saying this about. I can't anticipate what he would say, but I can stand for my view here, even as it relates to the UN. I think that there's an open conversation to be had about whether continued involvement in the UN serves the U.S.'s or anybody else's purpose. So NATO, I think, is a, is a different conversation from the UN. I do think that there's a conversation first, a table stakes conversation with NATO, when you have a majority of its members still not meeting its minimum 2% Well, they absolutely should. That's where Donald yeah. Trump is completely right about that. Well, I know, but against what backstop, mm -hmm. right? So if an institution, any institution, outlives its purpose, it's worth reflecting on the continued existence of that institution. Many of these multilateral institutions, like government agencies, sometimes at home, these things should have been task forces. But an American president has to have a moral compass, too. I do. About whatever's going on anywhere in the world. Well, I have a moral but, compass. Particularly if they are allies about that the you are helping to fund. And right now, as you Especially know... treaty-bound allies, right, for right example. Now, they're make all... a treaty. That... They're treaty-bound allies. Us, us giving aid to another country doesn't mean that we get to dictate every single policy of that country including whether they get to defend themselves or not. That means something. Okay. My question is this. Right now, there are thousands of children. You're a father. 
two young kids. I'm a father of four kids. There are thousands of young children getting killed in Gaza. Yeah, that's the fault of Hamas. Hamas uses the children as shields. Hamas hides amongst children, schools and hospitals. That's Hamas. That would be like if Adolf Hitler strapped women and children to the front of his tanks. Do we let Adolf Hitler take over the, uh, do we let Nazi Germany take over the entire world? No. It's an unfortunate situation, but it is what it is. Innocent Palestinian kids, half of Gaza kids, women being blown to pieces, houses and whole areas being completely decimated. A million Gazans have had to move from the north to the south out of their homes, which they will not be able to return to in most cases because they've been destroyed and they're going to be destroyed. And I get that the purpose that Israel... Again, that's Hamas's fault, not Israel. ...get rid of Hamas, and I agree with them. But how they do that, the whole world is watching. And the other parts of the region, including Saudi Arabia, they're on the verge of a new accord with Israel and now recoiling at what they see as a disproportionate response. So, so I disagree so, so with some of that characterization. My, my question, a long-winded question, but yeah. my question is, on, on a human level, with the moral compass required by an American president, do you not look at what's happening now in Gaza and slightly recoil at the scale of this? No, I don't. I don't. It's all Hamas. Just like if the Germans did that, the deaths of those people being strapped to the tanks would be the fault of, Germ- of, the, of the Nazi government and Adolf Hitler, not, not of the Allied forces. And what it may become in the next days, weeks, potentially months... Do you not think, so you not Pierce, think let that me, let me address a responsible that American president wouldn't say to uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, just hang so, on here? So, so if, I'm, if I may, Pearson, I appreciate you providing the backdrop for that question. And I'm not giving you the answer. No, I know you're I'm not. I'm asking it. Yeah, and I, and I take it as a, as a question. Yeah. As a difficult question. It's a difficult answer. On that standard, we would have been engaging with most of the African continent yep. for the better part of the last half century. We would be talking exactly all the horrible things that happen in the on the continent of Africa. We'd be in constant war, trying to eliminate those situations. Talking much more about what's going on in the last three years in Azerbaijan and Armenia, and in the Congo, they they chop children's arms and legs off, and the, and they rape women either to death or close to death. Somehow, interestingly, something you don't hear peep, peep about in the Nagorno-Karabakh region. We could go on. And each of us has different capacities. I mean, you and I share multiple things in common. We're both fathers. We both lived the full arc of what in this country, at least we call the American dream, right? You've been successful. I have a separate hat that I wear as a philanthropist. I look to other parts of the world, including especially the United States, where I'm able to make a difference. Not the U.S. president yet. I've been as helpful as I can from East Palestine, Ohio, to Maui, to chartering a flight, that helping pay for a charter flight for 200 seats for Americans to get out of harm's way in Israel. That's different from the public policy hat I wear. I've been a businessman that's developed medicines to do, deliver medicines to patients who need them, some of them life-saving. But as U.S. president, which is the premise for our discussion here, as U.S. president, I have a moral obligation. It is to the citizens of the United States of America. Exactly, exactly. You have to be a nationalist to be a decent president. Exactly. His main obligation is to, if he becomes president, or anybody becomes president, they have to be America first. They have to be a nationalist. They have to take responsibility.
and prioritize our citizens over other people's countries and citizens. They have to. They have to be in our best interest first. And this is, there's a philosophy underlying this. You said you and I are fathers. You, you caught my, you, if you're going to catch my attention, it worked. It caught me. Our obligation, I think perhaps you would agree with me, it's the way I sense it. I think my first obligation in the way I've lived my life to this day is to my family, mm-hmm. to those two sons, those two boys we're raising. And then we go concentric circles to my nation. I'm a citizen of this nation. Not some nebulous global citizen fighting climate change nebulously somewhere else. I'm a citizen of this nation. If I'm running to lead this nation as commander-in-chief, I do have a moral obligation. This is my moral compass speaking. My moral compass is to the United States of America. And once we have dealt with wage stagnation and a border crisis and the people who are suffering in this country, people who are suffering for threats vulnerable to cyber attacks, super EMP attacks, nuclear missile attacks from a Russia-China alliance, that poses a great threat to the United States and our citizens today. Once we've dealt with that, then maybe we can get to hunger in the Congo after that. But, this but that's is, the order we need to go in. Yeah, but this sounds, if you don't mind me saying, this yeah. sounds incredibly isolationist. It's not isolationist. It's like taking it's Trump, not, Trump's worldview. It's not isolationist, I can tell you why. Doubling down and making it even more insular. It sounds to me like the kind of presidency you want is one where you only really care about direct impact. No, he mainly cares. He mainly cares about this country. And puts this country first. On American citizens. Which, by the I way... That's that much okay. I'm guilty of. I, I, that much I will like I, I, I get it. Direct impact on American but citizens. But I don't think the number one superpower in the world can just ignore a moral compass elsewhere in the world, particularly yeah. in countries which are your allies. So, so I'm not... I mean, I come from the United Kingdom, for example. If we had, I'm not attack, ignore. If we had an attack like this, would you have the same philosophy to us? I mean... It's a treaty about an ally, right? So, so I think treaties mean something. Mm. And this is where I think... Where is your moral line with what's happening in Israel right let's, now? Let's work backwards here from an outcome we both want to avoid. World War III. Right. How did World War I, the Archduke Ferdinand's death, mm. escalate into a massive war that killed millions around the world, only to lay the groundwork for then World War II, which killed millions more? Mm. They're accidental tripwires that people cross that then create escalation that nobody imagined and yet, in retrospect, becomes a conflagration. I think we lose that clarity when we're vague, saying there's selectively certain... And admittedly, no, but you're it's, your, it's your certainty that... Exactly. <clears throat> exactly. It's dominoes. One falls, another falls, and then eventually it goes from one incident, one conflict, to a worldwide global problem. And everybody's involved. Or at least a large portion of the world. And we can't have that. We can't have another World War III. First of all, nuclear weapons would probably eventually be <clears throat> would probably eventually be uh, used, which would devastate all the countries and the entire planet. You know, you, no, 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 but you're picking because, certain no, conflicts or certain areas of humanitarian crisis while outright ignoring others. No, no I get it, but you're certain. And so as I look at it through the prism, if I do one, one, one yes. quick thought, just course, to this, because I think you can, you can then at least understand the view even if you disagree. I'm not saying don't get involved or not. I'm saying the question of whether or not we get involved is, is decided through one prism, of whether it advances the American interest. And so there may be certain Absolutely. cases in which we do make the determination that that does advance the American interest. I'll give you one right now. Taiwan. If China were to invade Taiwan right now, mm. I think it is the job of the U.S. to affirmatively defend. Why? Because we depend on Taiwan for semiconductors that power our modern way of life. So you would, if you were president, you'd send troops in to defend Taiwan? 
I would defend Taiwan, and I'm not going to telegraph exactly which means. There are many means to you do it. You haven't said that before. We've run a dis- I've said that before. I mean, People don't listen, but you, I've said that you've before. You've changed your position on that. No, I've actually been crystal clear on this at every step of the way. Now, what I've also said, where you might be getting that, is politics thing is interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't fault you for it, because that's, that's what's in the ether. I've said that very clearly. We will defend Taiwan at least until we get semiconductor independence in the United States, at which point we will resume our current posture of strategic and Why would you defend Taiwan militarily but not Israel? Well, I think that right now we depend on those little semiconductors for our modern way of life. But just purely and financial. Israel also doesn't need it. I Israel, Israel, but Israel, I Israel provides a lot of stuff to America. Well, here's my point. It, each, and this is the whole point, Piers, is it's not some... T- Israel doesn't need it. Israel's kicking ass. Everybody just needs to shut the hell up and let Israel do what Israel's doing. Up, down cookie-cutter analogizing. I analyze each situation independently. Isn't there a core principle? Israel is able to defend itself right now. And I think Israel will be better able to defend itself if we don't muddy the waters. You'll, Taiwan you'll has line, no chance okay, of defending your red itself line you China, said to me, and it matters to the U.S. Your red line you said to me was... American if, interest. It was if American citizens got attacked. We will hit you back ten times harder. Okay, but American citizens were So that's what makes this conflict difficult. Is Israel able to take care of that job? If American targets are hit as American targets, right? Let's say they know they're hitting us on an American base. That's a direct hit on the United but States. But if Americans America. get killed in Israel, well, if Americans or get, get Israel, kidnapped and taken uh, hostage by Hamas, we need to. We, well, right now, you don't see any. American I would prioritize getting those American hostages out. That is a top priority. For me. I, it is a top priority for me. American now, military. Now, right now, let's just let's be tethered to the facts as they exist. They've been releasing hostages two at a time. There's reports yesterday of Hamas willing to do a deal. For American hostages to get released. a collapse, which is why the Israelis have started the ground. So if, I, so if I'm commander-in-chief, my top focus, and there's a lot of levers here, but you prioritize what matters, getting American hostages home, top priority. So you would send... Getting Amer- sons and daughters... So just to clarify, yeah. you would send American troops in to get the hostages. I would not take an option off the table in a limited way to protect Americans. Right. You'd to protect me, Americans. But and America First includes all Americans. You did say earlier that you would not want to send any American military into this situation. I don't want U.S. military involvement in somebody else's war. You just said you'd send troops in to get the hostages. American hostages. <clears throat> so, I have a feeling Pierce Brosnan is going to get real stupid. Or Pierce Brosnan, that's an actor. Pierce Morgan is going to get real stupid here. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, he's saying American hostages. But let, let's see where this goes, because I have a feeling this is going to get real, real stupid. Only the American hostages. Special forces targeted, at, but Pierce, if you're paying attention to the uh, negotiations I trust, there are very clear delineations that Hamas has drawn right now for releasing civilian hostages no, no, but, but, of other nations. But just to clarify, and so, and so, clarify the, yeah. the, for this. I mean, you're not seriously suggesting that you would send in American troops down to get hostages, special only, forces or otherwise, but negotiators. Only, but literally only get American hostages rather than, say, Israeli hostages. <clears throat> the, the only condition on... How would that be possible? Obviously, if they go in, they're going to... They're going to and they, there's a group of hostages. They're not going to say, you, you, and you come with us and the rest of you sit back down. I mean, Pierce sometimes acts like a fool. Which we will have shown up there. Intentionally. Because they hold American hostages. Right. But, if, but okay. if we're there, we're going to do the best deal we can to, to, to advance American interests, which includes releasing Israel hostages. I would hostages. say there's inconsistency to what you've now been saying about this, because you started by saying we should have no military involvement in this whatsoever. I, what I have said, Pierce, at every step, I'll bring you back to the North Star. What advances the American interest? Right. That will be my prism. That's different in different situations. 
How many times does he have to say American it? Interest. And to me, the America First agenda includes all Americans. I did my part. As I said, I, I personally paid for a charter flight with 200 seats to get people out of harm's way. I've told you, at the bases in Syria and Iraq, if I'm commander-in-chief, I want to bring those sons and daughters home. And yes, it would be a top priority. If you're commander-in-chief, given you're American, making decisions holistically. Given but it is a top be, priority to bring our hostages given home. Given our American hostages being held by Hamas. Yes. And it sounds to me, by your criteria that you've set out today in this interview, that by that criteria, as American president, you would send American troops in. The only reason I criticize that question, Pierce, is that there are many other ways short of that that we can get those hostages home now. It is literally happening as we speak and are having this. Yeah, Pierce Morgan is trying to pretend like it's an either-or situation. There's many, many different options, and surely Pierce Morgan knows that. Conversation. So that is a straw man relative to the status quo of deal discussion with hostages actually being released and brought home. And if you're U.S. president, you're not making each decision in isolation. What, what would your moral You set certain priorities, yeah, and a top it. priority for me is American hostages. What would you... But what is your moral compass, though? If you were to witness yeah. Israel, for example, if this escalates, and Israel, which is believed to be a nuclear power, they don't admit it, but they're believed to have nuclear Probably weapons. Probably is. Israel is almost certainly a nuclear power. If they were to suddenly use a nuclear weapon, would that cross a red line for you? So my view is this. What advances the American interest? I don't mean to sound like a broken record. Those circumstances... You like a broken record. Well, this, this, but, but, uh, but I wanted to offer clarity at a moment where I risk maybe sounding ambiguous to you. The real answer is each of those situations has to be looked at through the prism of what yeah, caused that to happen. My overarching question was, was, is there a limit to what you would accept Israel doing as President of the United States? Is In there a, a accordance, Full accordance with international law and the laws of war. Do you think at the moment they are acting in accordance with international law and the Geneva Convention? <laughs> Because many think I, I believe there's no evidence to suggest that they're outside of that in the context of the laws of just engagement in the context of what Hamas did. I agree. I 100% agree. Israel has done, has, not, has done nothing that would be over the top in my mind. Uh, in fact, I know I'm, I'm somewhat biased. There's no such thing as over the top when you're fighting people that did the things that Hamas and, and, some, and many Palestinian uh, civilians did on uh, on October 7th. And the funny part is, not the funny part, but the iron, ironic part is, is that everybody keeps talking about civilians, civilians, civilians. The first part of the invasion on October 7th was like Hamas special forces. Then the second part of the invasion was just the grunt force, the regular grunts. Then the third part of the invasion was local Palestinian civilians that came in and, 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 had, and, and engaged in some of the activities. And most people either don't know about it or don't care. I absolutely think they have a right to defend themselves. It could yes. what happened. I think they're right to try and get rid of Hamas. I've got to say, when I am looking at my social media feed at the moment, and I'm seeing a constant bombardment, quite literally, of these terrible scenes out of Gaza, with screaming kids women who've been slain, and so on and so on, and whole areas just completely leveled. Unfortunate part of war. I'm looking at this and getting increasingly concerned about the proportionality of what is happening, and also in the understanding that clearly it's going to... I swear to God, if I keep hearing the word proportionality, 
My, my fucking head's going to explode. Get a lot worse. And if I'm the American president, Joe Biden has already said he's very concerned about this, right? It seems to me what you're trying to say, correct me if I'm wrong, but that Israel can do what it wants, that after that attack, there is no limit. As far as you're concerned, sitting in the White House, there is no limit. And a lot of people will hear that. Particularly, let me, let me well, just let me challenge finish, one premise finish, finish here. A, yeah. a lot of people will hear this, particularly Americans, American Arabs will hear this. And they'll think, oh, there's no limit? The American president has no moral line that Israel can cross in their desire to get rid of Hamas. So so I, think there's one, I think there's one... What, 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 how can you get rid of Hamas without basically doing whatever it takes? <clears throat> Didn't we do whatever it takes to eliminate the Germans and the Japanese during World War II? I believe we did. Troubling premise baked in there, which is that the U.S. is the only nation that can have a moral compass... I mean, you're presuming that is what's baked into that question. Let's I think every country should have. No, but, but what's what's baked into your like question? Why didn't my country honestly? What's baked into your question? Why my country abstaining on the issue of a ceasefire? Have a view. I always think well, abstention. I, I, also, I also say have a view. Uh, you and I, I, I share think, that in common. I think abstention is lame. Is a lame. It's a particularly response. lame response. It's quite cowardly, actually. It's, it, it, abstention is a, is a lame response. Yeah. Have a view and defend it. If you're going to be at the table yeah. of a body like the UN, if it should exist in the first place. But Which it shouldn't. What's baked into the premise of your question is that Israel has no moral compass, and therefore it's the U.S.'s job no, no, to have one. No, I'm not one. saying that. Well, it, but, but, but it is, just, it's baked into the premise of your no, question no. that Israel is doing something, and the U.S. has a moral compass I'm there are to decide. As, as you know, there are a lot of people yeah. around the world, millions, hundreds of millions, right? Yeah. Especially in the Muslim world, but not just the Muslim and, world. And why are we picking on this humanitarian catastrophe or alleged humanitarian To hell with the Muslim world. And catastrophe, but not countless others in other parts of the world over the course of the last 20 years. I, I think there I think are that lots, leads there are to lots, a slippery slope, there which are is lots impossible yeah. for the U.S. to actually manage. And so we come back to what fair? are the relations between nations. Well, let me the ask job you, of each nation is to look after its national self-interest. Is it fair that Israel is able to turn on, for example, power and water and turn it off? It Gaza. wasn't fair that Hamas came from Gaza into no, no. Israel on hang gliders this was, this was to before. kill innocent civilians. But as the UN boss clumsily put it, this is not a new conflict. This has been going well, on. Is it time. fair that the Arab people, the descendants of Ishmael, have 20 some odd countries, yet none of them will take on the Palestinians, even as they nominally stand for them against the. I think that's a very Exactly. 22 Arab nations. And none of them will take on the Palestinians because they know the Palestinians are nothing but problems and are always problems when, when they're taken in by another country. <clears throat> Back in 1970, Black September happened and the Palestinians tried to overthrow King Hussein. Not the current king, but the, the father. So I think these are questions that we should elevate in our capacity as citizens and as leaders, diplomatically. And I think this may, hearing you, peers. This may be actually, we might have a lot more common ground than the last 10 minutes might suggest. There's a role for diplomacy. I mean, I'm not as certain in my there's view a role for, as you seem to be. Well, there's, there's a role for diplomacy here. So is the role for the U.S. to engage diplomatically? Yes, around the world. I think the U.S.'s accomplishment, one of the U.S. accomplishments under the Trump administration that I respect was the Abraham Accords. That was a diplomatic achievement, not a military achievement. And I think we should take those diplomatic achievements to the next level. And so if I'm to level set our conversation, we might have risked talking past each other a little bit. It's not that I want to be an ideologue and just say that we're going to be completely callous and have no view on it. We have a view, but what I'm going to do about it 
is going to be determined by the American self-interest. There we go. He keeps saying it, but it's not getting through Pierce Morgan's thick skull. Said and so diplomatic engagement, and even a diplomatic engagement would be through the American self well, about, having that conversation okay, you're talking about is something that good leaders can do. Okay, you talk about diplomacy. Was it diplomatic of you, I think you repeated it again in your speech today, to say that if it was left to you, uh, you know, you'd see Israel putting up the heads of the top hundred... Not that if it's left to me. If it's left to Israel and that's what they decide to do, yeah, I'm perfectly okay with that. This is your idea. Me yeah, too. Was that they put the heads on stakes of the hundred top Hamas... Hell yeah. Hamas. That's not diplomacy, is it? I and mean, that's going to be literally a pouring a bucket of fuel onto a raging fire. I, I actually think that that might be far better, Pierce, as an alternative. Really? To a pro- you speak to barbarians through the language they're going to understand. If the barbarian is trying to hit you in the head with a club, you don't respond with a with a calculus. ground invasion with Gaza involving a bunch of civilians versus taking the top hundred leaders of a terrorist kind of, organization Vivek, that are just, carrying out Vivek, a form of genocide. Isn't that the kind of medieval barbarism which they perpetrated on the people of Israel? Well, yeah, that's who we're dealing with. Which, I think there's one crucial the, difference. The civilized world no, but, should seek to be above. Here's, here's, there's, there's a real difference there, a fundamental difference. One is an armed militia doing it against civilians versus going after the perpetrators, and I specifically exactly. said the top 100 leaders of Hamas. And this is a fun conversation. It's interesting to me because I've actually just taken objections the other way, saying that that's far too limited in scope, right? Exactly, exactly. Pierce keeps equating the dead, uh, killing um, Hamas leaders and fighters with uh, killing pe- killing civilians. And what, what they did on, uh, you know... October 7th, not even close to being the same. Not even close. To say the top 100 leaders of Hamas, well, why wouldn't we expand the scope of who we hold responsible? See, yes, I do think that's diplomacy. But Barack Obama actually. never showed images of a dead Osama bin Laden. He didn't feel that would be the right thing to do. He felt that would be well, I think it would have been. inflammatory, is my understanding. Well, I'll so say two things in response work? to that. That's Barack Obama's not my arbiter of what counts as good diplomacy or not. And second is each situation is different. I mean, each situation is different about asking what is in the American self-interest. So I'm not saying, on the Israel point, I was very clear in my speech when I brought this up. That is, I said it about three times, that is Israel's decision to make, not ours. And I think that that provides a level of, yes, moral clarity about who the leader of a nation owes an obligation to. David Ben-Gurion had a vision for... Leader of a nation owes an obligation to their own nation, first and foremost. And he said this over and over and over again. But, you know, Pierce Morgan's giant clown head is simply too thick to um, fully understand what he's trying to tell him. Or simply refusing. Israel. Self-sufficiency makes its own decisions for its own security. George Washington, in his farewell address in the United States of America had a vision for this nation, the lead founding father of our nation, that we look to the interests of our citizens without foreign entanglements. And I think if we're honest about that, I actually think that that opens up greater possibility for peace everywhere because both our allies and our adversaries can actually trust what we say. Red lines will actually be red lines because if they're crossed, it means it really violates the national self-interest. One of- yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the bad part. 
<clears throat> Barack Obama drew red lines. And then when people crossed those red lines, he did absolutely nothing in response. The other, That's how I look at it. One of the other candidates for President Ron DeSantis has said that the students who've been protesting across American campuses, um, very pro-Palestinian, a lot of Jewish students feeling very threatened by it. Some of these students actually beaming pro-Hamas imagery to the buildings at George Washington University and so on. That they should be taken out. Uh, if they have visas, they should be revoked and so on. You've said you don't believe in that because of free speech. But again, is there no limit to that free speech? If people are actively supporting and promoting a terror organization like Hamas, that's, isn't that hate speech, not free speech? Well, to be clear, I am a ardent defender of the First Amendment. So I'm, I so, agree with you. So the First Amendment does not protect against incite, actual incitement to violence, to say, hey, go kill that guy right there, do it now, shoot him. That's not protected What about speech. saying Hamas but, is but the, right. so, so in the U.S., the jurisprudence on this, I mean, the U.S. is very clear. Anything that is an expression of an opinion is protected. So if you're expressing an opinion, however heinous, that opinion is protected by the First Amendment. It is protected by the First Amendment, but schools can have and do have codes of conduct that aren't dictated by the First Amendment. And that's been proven time and time again when all these colleges and, and universities have tried to ban and have banned uh, conservative speakers. All opinions are protected. Now, my view is some of those are heinous opinions. We're the country, the United States of America who said the Nazis could march in Skokie, Illinois. Many people around the world would disagree with that, but that's what makes America itself. I disagree vehemently with those Nazis, but I will defend to the death this country, in this country, the right of anybody to express their opinion. You'll defend to the death the right of people to be Nazis in America? I write the right of people to express an opinion. Being a Nazi can involve more than that, right? If you're taking action based on that, no. Heck no. But if you want to... But if you're promoting and supporting a, a, a Nazi ideology... Why would you want to accept that? In I don't want to accept that. The way we defeat it... Why would you tolerate it? I don't tolerate it. We don't tolerate it through free more speech. You defeat it in the market. See, people like Pierce Morgan and other people from his country and other countries around the world, they simply don't grasp freedom of speech. They just don't grasp it. Um, to them, if they disagree with something you're saying and they adamantly disagree and they think what you're saying is horrible then the government should be able to stop you from saying it. Which is why we're the, we're the greatest nation on earth. One of the reasons why. ...place of ideas and we're not tolerating it. Because think about what you're doing to somebody who has that nasty opinion and then tell them that they have to keep it to themselves. You tell people they can't speak, they scream. Would you allow people... If you tell people they can't scream, that's when they take physical okay. action. But so I don't want to see that. Would you be happy to see pro-Nazi... No, I'm not happy. I'm, of course I'm not if happy. President of the United States, you would allow it to happen. Nazi it's not him. It's not him allowing it to happen. It's the U.S. Constitution allowing it to happen. How it works in the United States? It's not even my power to decide whether to allow it to happen. The Constitution and the Supreme Court has already long held that the expression of heinous opinions is part of the American constitutional life. To say that the government, no government actor should ever decide which opinions can and cannot be expressed, period. That's what the First Amendment is all about. Once we lose that, once the government can decide which ideas can and cannot be expressed, that's the ballgame. And, and I've been the major defender of this from a right-wing perspective for years, right, saying that 
conservatives should be allowed to express skepticism of COVID vaccines or the origin of the COVID pandemic or questions relating to race or questions relating to you asking You said you wouldn't have your vaccines again if you had your, your time. As a sign of that's true, yeah. Why? I'm a young, healthy man, and I think that we have risks of myocarditis that are revealed now that weren't revealed then. The only reason I took it was a matter of convenience. We you couldn't do accept, travel. You do accept our business. Yeah, unfortunately, airlines literally wouldn't let you travel unless you had the vaccine. I got the vaccine just because I thought it was prudent to do so. I've got other health issues, and I didn't want to take any chances. And so I got Moderna, which is one shot, and then you wait another 28 days, and you take another shot. Each time you have a 50-50 chance of, you know, getting a, a mild fever, nausea, I think diarrhea, Various other small issues, muscle aches, stuff like that. I, I didn't get any of it. I didn't get any of it the, after the first shot or the second shot. You, many millions of people have their lives saved by the vaccines. I think by vaccines other than COVID-19, sure. I think the COVID-19 vaccines, I think that there's a deeper debate to be had about the cost. You don't benefits. think they save millions of lives? Well, I, think the, I think the costs exceeding the benefits are really a case-by-case well, case discussion. What's the cost of human life? The question is how many human lives were lost also as a consequence of myocarditis or other risks. Actually, actually a, a, a absolutely tiny number. So this is this is an area that strikes near and dear to me. I studied my myocarditis, I think, extremely thoroughly. Including in young men and what the cost-benefit analysis well, because actually I've got three sons in their 20s, and at least one of them thought he may have had myocarditis. So I studied so it. it's personal to you. Yeah. I, so I, I developed five medicines which are FDA-approved today. The ultimate hypocrisy at the heart of our regulatory regime, here's his... On one hand, and I'm an absolutist in both directions here, on one hand, this FDA in the U.S. that says you can't even try a medicine or a vaccine unless it's been through 10 years of testing, you don't have the right to try it. I reject that. I'm a right to try absolutist. I think you should be able to make an informed decision for yourself of whether you want to take that risk or not. But part of being a right to try absolutist is I'm a right not to try absolutist, too, just because the FDA has pushed it through. Yeah, that's that's fair. If you decide that you want to take a medication, especially if you're terminally ill, and you want to take some kind of medication to try to help yourself, even if it's just pie in the sky, it should be your right. And if you decide you don't want to take a medication because you don't think it's in your best interest, then even if you're batshit crazy, you have the right to decide that. Nobody should be mandated to take it. You're not suggesting, just to be clear, you're not suggesting more people died of myocarditis no, I'm not. as a result of taking vaccines then, than the number of I, people whose lives were saved. I'm not making an empirical claim. I'm making a normative claim that everybody should be able to decide for themselves. Because it was a tiny number of people who died from myocarditis. And every vaccine has people who have reactions. I'm not, I'm not so diminishing... I think that they were, not, I, I I think they were decidedly higher clearly in this a, case. I'm not diminishing it was a problem, nor am I saying that with hindsight, clearly younger people were not as affected by COVID as older people. I mean, that... They were trying to force people to give it to their babies and small children. And and that's just insane. I know that's a fact. So my philosophy is a... I'm so, sorry, i got to jump in again. I saw this video of this kid. I don't know if it was a public pool or a pool at a, uh, a hotel. But anyway, he was swimming. And he was, he, kept, he was making sure that his mask was on. Even though he was the only one in the pool... And there was people standing along the pool. This is like a huge pool. But he was the only one in the pool by himself. And he kept going under the water. And when he would come out, the mask would slip down a little bit because of the pressure of the water. And he would keep pulling it back up. So somehow he was making sure that he didn't give or get COVID 
by wearing a mask, a wet mask while he was swimming. I mean, I realize he was a teenager, but how, how goddamn stupid can you be? Allison Aker is medical choice absolute in both. Or how about people you drive down the road, and I've seen this before, and you see some guy or some woman, mostly some woman, and they're wearing a mask in the car by themselves. Medical choice to try what hasn't been approved. You should have the right to make that informed decision. And just because it has been approved under no condition should it be mandated. That's, a, that's the policy making that. I'm going to read you a quote from Nikki Haley, one of your other uh, rivals to be president. She says, you want to go and defund Israel. You want to give Taiwan to China. You want to go and give Ukraine to Russia. Under your watch, you will make America less safe. Now, we've discussed Israel. You've clarified your position. Taiwan. And I think it's significant that you now said you would send in American troops to defend Taiwan should China try and attack it. I said we would militarily defend. You'd send troops in? Military, it depends on whether ground troops are actually what matter or not. You could talk about destroyers. You could talk about SSGNs. But you would send American approaches. military in to defend we would the Taiwan. We, we would militarily defend Taiwan, yes, at least until we've achieved semiconductor independence. I mean, that wasn't and I'm the only candidate who it, said it. But it wasn't what you used to say. Pierce, that's false. Is I have false? said that. Yeah, it is false. So you can check this for yourself. Uh -huh. I have always said the part that these people are picking at is the fact that I said at least until Taiwan gains semiconductor independence. Mm -hmm. So you look at my earliest statements on this so all the way back to the Nixon okay, library. So here's where I'm curious again. The, at least until semiconductor independence is the part that these people so, trip up on. All right. So here's where I'm curious again. So if Taiwan gets... So that's reasonable. That, that is reasonable. We defend Taiwan until we're independent from the semiconductors that they supply and various other resources that they supply. The United States should be, could be, and should be um, self-sufficient on oil, on uh, on various various things, various supplies. That for some reason we just aren't, because we refuse to drill um, in parts of in parts of Alaska, tiny little parts of Alaska. Attacked and invaded. Yes, by an authoritarian regime like China. You wouldn't hesitate to have American military defend them. And you know why? Well, no, you've explained why. Yeah, because we depend on them for it, our modern it, way of life, it, that is Business, okay. So, well, not business. It's our modern way of life. Well, These lights wouldn't work right now. Okay. And our phones wouldn't work. But this brings me neatly to Ukraine. Edition. Yes. Which was invaded and attacked. So it's a sovereign democratic country. It was attacked. Democratic with an asterisk. No, no. Democratic. With an asterisk. Well, it had a massive majority voting for democracy. Well, much of the regions that are occupied haven't been represented in Ukrainians in Ukraine's parliament for nine years. Right. So... Table stakes discussion there. But it is, okay, you can call it asterisk democracy, I'll say democracy. But it was attacked and invaded by Russia. Uh, and you originally, when you first tweeted about it, you were quite censorious about what Russia had done and pro-Ukraine. Your rhetoric changed. I was pro-Ukraine, but I, but, I, but I found it offensive. I mean, I've said this at every step. Mm. Putin is a craven dictator. Mm. Okay, Putin is absolutely a craven dictator. Is, he, is he a war criminal? I don't know. I don't have enough information to suggest you he's don't a war know? criminal. The ICJ makes that judgment. Again, the U.S. the U.S. president. You don't think what he's done in Ukraine constitutes a war crime? Based on what we've seen, a lot of it looks likely to meet the ICJ's test. But I don't think the U.S. president it makes it meets any test. Well, it? I think that a lot of people have committed war crimes then on that basis, right? So you can't just selectively single him out. Well, illegally invading a sovereign country. Here's my is, view: is a, is a crime. Isn't for it? us to get on the same page, is Putin an evil dictator? Yes, he is. Hmm. Just because Putin is bad, does that mean Ukraine is good? No, it does not. Okay, this is a country that has banned 11 opposition parties. Mm. This is a country that has consolidated all of its media into one state TV media arm. This is a country that celebrated a Nazi in its own ranks in front of the Canadian Parliament, Zelensky did, 
This is a country that's effectively threatening the U.S. not to hold its elections unless the U.S. forks over more money. Yeah, that's ridiculous. You don't want to hold elections? Okay, don't hold elections. Then we won't. And, and, and you're telling us that we have to fork over more money or you're not, you're not going to hold elections. Okay, well, then we just won't fork over more money because we don't get blackmailed. We don't get pressured. It's like a, it's like a child saying, you know, give me uh, candy or I'm going to hold my breath and fall on the floor until I pass out. Um, yeah, we, that, that's, that's something that can't be tolerated because if it is, then it, it gives the, the, the person that's doing it leverage. Leverage they shouldn't have. And also against the backdrop here, it's worth wondering why that initial incursion to Kiev went nowhere, but Luhansk and... Okay, this is, again, I'm going to say this again, it drives me crazy. When I, I understand his name is looks like Vivek, but it's pronounced Vivek. Okay, I respect people's names, but I don't respect the names of cities. And most people don't respect the names of, of countries. Because if they did, they wouldn't call Japan, Japan. They would call it Nippon. That's where the, the racial slur nip comes from, Nippon. Japan isn't called Japan in, in Japan unless they're talking to an English speaker or maybe somebody from another country. It's called Nippon, not Japan. Um, when do you ever hear, except for a rare few cases where some douchebag does it, but when do you ever hear um, Paris called Paris? It's people in Paris pronounce Paris Paris. When do they ever pronounce Paris, Paris, anywhere else besides Paris? They, they never pronounce it Paris, ever. Again, there's some real, rare um, douchebags out there that do it or have done it in the past, but it virtually never happens. Now, if there's some kind of military conflict and we get embroiled in it, then every asshole on, the, on TV will be calling it uh, Paris. We're easily captured without counter-resistance. Why? These are Russian-speaking regions. Many residents there don't even view themselves as part of Ukraine. They view I'm not saying that Vivek is, a, is an asshole. I'm just saying it's trendy bullshit that drives me crazy. ...themselves as part of Russia. And for the better part of the last decade, almost 10 years, they haven't even been represented in the Ukrainian parliament. Well, there are not so we have to measure that against the not facts of the United States uh, English-speaking. Should we, should we have it back? What's that? Large parts of America are English-speaking. Should we have, have that back? Well, all of, them have been, all of them have been represented we in the U.S. government. Every one of them's incompetence. Everyone, say, well, hang on, you're all speaking English. Every one of them. So gets, actually, we're, we're having it all backwards. I think you're, you're purposely. Which case, you may not you're be purposely president. avoiding the you may hilarious not be part about that. I might be King Piers <laughs> of the I know, United I, States of it's, America. It's the dream of many Englishmen, perhaps, but that's okay. You it's you not going to happen. No, I don't get your point because the whole point is they weren't represented in Ukraine's government. Okay. And the United States national identity is different than the cultural identity of the people in the Donbass. Ideologically, what's the difference there were, between, I'll tell between you what, racing, racing I'll tell American you military to defend Taiwan, but, but in your case, wanting to stop funding American military support for Ukraine right because, at the moment? Well, yeah, the problem is, is is that by that by that logic, and again, I don't agree with Vivek on everything, but by that logic, you know, if you get a big enough, uh, if you get a big enough population that one of the one of the southwestern states of Mexicans or Hispanics in general, then you know <laughs> Mexico should be able to take back one of those states. And we, you know, obviously, we're not going to tolerate that. Well, you know, I don't know. In the past, we wouldn't tolerate it. Who the hell knows in the future? Where many would 
say it's never been more important. Because my basis for preventing China from invading Taiwan right now was not that Taiwan is a democracy. Money. My basis for doing it their money. is that there's American self-interest at issue. What our about, modern way what of about life. all the food stuffs that come out of Ukraine? Our food self, we can be self-sufficient in this country. The food stuffs that come from Ukraine to the United States is not going to affect our modern way of life. I mean, that's the hard answer. So for you, and it's a pure financial calculation. It's not just financial, it's, it's self-interest. It's, it's not a moral calculation of whether the U.S. Self-interested or selfish? It's American-centric. And I think it... What's wrong with being America-centric? You should be British-centric. I mean, maybe you spent too much time in the United States to realize that. It's actually selfish for the leaders of the United States to indulge their moral vanities while leaving Americans holding the bag here at home. And here's the other thing, Pierce. We're not having this conversation in a vacuum. Look at this. How, how well has this gone? Forking over nearly $200 billion direct and in kind. I think it's gone incredibly value. well. I'll tell you why. Oh, I think it's gone, I think it's well, gone let me, let me explain disastrously. Why. Let me explain why. Everybody assumed that Putin would run over Kiev, take control. Kiev was a wrong assumption kick out rest because, because there was a ukrainian counterinsurgency because, because ukrainians fought for their democratic rights and why freedom. didn't they fight in the donbass and i remember a time when america used to celebrate the pierce you're missing one this you're missing one super important detail here you actually made your own made the point that i would like to make which is the reason why russia has succeeded in the parts of the donbass they're occupying is that the people there have more of an affinity for russia than they do to Ukraine. But actually, so you can't say democracy but sometimes, actually, but not but others. Actually, the These people don't want the, to be part of Ukraine. It isn't actually true, because most of the polls, Many of them no, don't no, the want polls to be. show that the people in those regions still want to be part of Ukraine. Many of them don't, and that's some why there don't. was no counterinsurgency. Some don't. I was told it was like 10 to 15%. They haven't been represented in Luhansk and Donetsk. It's a small percent. Okay, so if it's 10 to 15%, then Pierce Morgan's obviously right. If you don't want to be, if only 10 to 15% of the U Ukrainians in that area don't want to be, <clears throat> excuse me, don't want to be part of the Ukraine, they can move to Russia. Uh, I, that On that, I disagree with Vivek, and I agree with Pierce Morgan. They have not even been represented in the Ukrainian parliament. Would you really, if you won the presidency in 2024? I would do a deal. That ends this What's war. your deal? I mean, you and Here's Donald Trump talk about. Well, you're going to sort it well I'll give you details. In my case, I'll give you details. You, give, you would give Putin what he's taken. I won't give. I won't give him anything. There's a deal. What would you give him? I wouldn't give him anything. I would okay. give him a deal. What's the deal he's going to take? Well, here's the deal. He has to exit his military alliance with Xi Jinping. Mm -hmm. End the Russia-China military alliance. That's the top threat that the U.S. What's faces. the deal with Ukraine? And then in return, what we get is a hard commitment that NATO will not admit Ukraine to NATO. In truth, that's just keeping... But what about the land he's well, taking? Well, this is the most important part, is the NATO hard... This is what matters most to Putin. Mm. There's other parts of this deal I could talk about on both sides. The mm. most important element of each, and then I can go to the second most. The most important element is Russia exit its military alliance with China. We make a hard commitment that NATO not admit Ukraine to NATO. Which, by the way, Piers, that violates... We've systematically violated a commitment we made back in 1990. James Baker, the U.S. Secretary of State, made a commitment yeah, to Gorbachev. Tell me about, on this deal. And, then, and then here we'd freeze the current lines of control. What? Freeze the current you lines of control. You would give Putin everything he stole? I wouldn't give stolen? him anything. I would freeze the current lines of control. What do you mean? I mean? What does that mean? These are Russian-speaking regions that are occupied today. You would literally give Putin what he's stolen. You Only. Would give, you would give I'm not, the guy. I'm just, not giving him anything. I'm giving him a deal. What is you? Well, it's a hard decision to make, but I think he's got a good point. I think he's got an excellent point. It's conditioned. What did you call Putin? He's an evil dictator. You're given so evil dictator. So are countless others. Land he's stolen by killing people. You would give him the land. Pierce, I'm not going to give him anything. I'm giving him a deal. You just said you'd give him the whole 
I'm not going to give him. That's your word, not mine. I'd give him a deal. What I would do is, no, we would require Russia to exit its military alliance with China. What threatens the United States of America? The Russian-China military alliance. Russia-China military alliance definitely could turn into World War III. It definitely could. It would definitely embolden both countries. President of the United States, and you say, all right, uh, Vladimir, I know you invaded illegally a sovereign democratic country, and they fought for it's their It's not a democratic country. And they fought Ukraine is not a democratic country. And they fought for their Ukraine is not a democratic country. I don't agree with you. I mean, I don't agree with look you. at what they're doing to the Ukrainian Orthodox Church finish, right now. Let me finish this. Is, this is, it's just a myth. Let me finish. But we're having a mythological conversation. Well, you Ukraine is, is not a democratic country. The people country. of Ukraine voted for democracy. A massive majority. Except for the ones that didn't vote that happened to be in the regions occupied by Russia. But you would give this area they've stolen back to the Russians, right? So you're telling, I would not. You're telling it would be every, conditioned. You're telling every, I would not do anything other than we get what we want You're telling every evil dictator in the world, you can go and invade any country you like, Take whatever land you can in a bloody war for as long as Here's you like. Here's what I find fascinating. And then eventually, I'll just give how it much, to you. How many hours of your show, or minutes, or seconds, have you dedicated to what Azerbaijan has done to Armenia and Nagorno-Karabakh on the different region on the other side of Caspian? Zero is probably the answer, just like every other mem- major member of the media. Why? Because Ukraine has been as successful in selling this Pied Piper myth in the United States as Azerbaijan has. Yet what Azerbaijan just did in Nagorno-Karabakh over the same region dating back to even September of this year, pin drop silence. So if you're- we, are, we are very selective in who we help and who we don't, and who we prioritize and who we don't. Not just in the military, not just by our government, but my media. But apply that standard, you would be applying it far more broadly. But applying your but, standard as president of the United States- my, my standard is stay out of all. Because if you're in Ukraine for that reason, the United States would be in 10 other conflicts right now. And so you're selectively applying it, if I may say, Pierce, not even to the best example you could make, because you know, Ukraine you know, is not a paragon you of know democracy. Churchill's quote about crocodiles and abysses, right? Well, that's applied selectively analogizing some element of history as opposed to analyzing what the individual situation is. And so where is Azerbaijan Armenia? Why is that not part of the conversation? Just because the media has decided that that isn't what we're going to pay attention to, because it's not what the cool kids are talking about, likely because it's Christians at stake. Let's be honest about that. So this is a country in Ukraine that's gone after the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. This is a country that has banned 11 opposition parties. This is a country where the regions of Russia that have been occupied, several of those provinces, Luhansk and Donetsk in particular, not even represented in the Ukrainian parliament. So the idea that this is some battle of good versus evil is a farce. Unfortunately, just like in the Middle East, there's a lot of places where it's evil versus less evil. Even if you're going to pick good versus evil... There's a lot other better examples to pick, and I'm principled to say that we should not be making those moral judgments for other people when my moral obligation is to the people of actually, the United States just, of America. But you have just made a moral judgment. You've actually said to an evil dictator, you can come and grab that land and keep it. No, that's that moral, presumes that it was moral, our job. That's a moral presumes, judgment. It presumes that it was our job to be able to say yes or no in the first place. That is not the job of the United States of America. The job of the United States actually, of America is. is to be oh. strong and look after its own it citizens. It used to be. We have a different view. It used to be. I mean, Shouldn't have been. We're we're past that now. Maybe from an out, you know, maybe you from know, looking from an outsider's perspective, in, I, it might I, look that way. Call me old-fashioned, but I remember in World War II when the Americans came in to help Britain finish. When off the Pearl Harbor was hit. Yes. Yeah, we entered the war after we were severely attacked by by the Japanese. Japanese subs, which most most people aren't aware of, or I, I think most people are not aware of that, and also followed up by the uh, Japanese planes attacking the ships, but the subs attacked the ships 
underwater, you know, before the planes took took fight took flight and attacked the ships from the sky. I mean, it's it, the late, hard answer is better late than never would be my response to that. Well, America should look after itself. Interest when America was attacked itself, then America did come into the war and did help Britain win it. Thank, That's correct. When thank, America was hit, that happened. And thank God they did. And I, I'm grateful that America and Europe should be grateful that we did. And now NATO can spend maybe 2% of its GDP on military spending, which it's still failing to do. So much for gratitude. So I, 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 I would say On there. that point, I agree with you, and I agree with Donald Trump. He, yeah. he did the right thing. When he said NATO was obsolete, he meant the way the finances are not being paid by a lot of the member companies. Yeah, that is ridiculous. NATO, uh, they agreed to 2% of their GDP uh, towards um, you know, the general fund for protection and to support NATO. And virtually none of them pay their their share. We pay everything almost. They're just not. A majority of them are. And, and they should yeah. be. Um, let's turn to conspiracy theories. People think you're a conspiracy theorist. Hmm. Are you? No, I'm a conspiracy realist. I believe in, actually, some of the most mundane so-called conspiracies have been obvious realities hiding in plain sight. Do you think the same? I mean, people said it was a conspiracy theory, by the way, when I said that the, like many others, the COVID pandemic originated in a lab in Wuhan. Right. Back when we were supposed to buy this wet market. And it's most likely it did. And most likely that it did. Yeah. So I think that history has taught us that many of the things that we reject. Do you believe the... I'm guided by fact. Do yeah. you believe the Sandy Hook massacre was a hoax? No. Do you think the, the parents of those kids who died were actors? No. Okay, so why did you appear on Alex Jones's show? Those are two very different questions. They're not. Yeah, um... You don't want the, I mean, I, I wouldn't want, personally. I guess if you're trying desperately trying to win the presidency, that's, or at least the Republican nominee. I don't know, I guess some of them are willing to go after every aspect of American society, including the lunatic conspiracy theorist um, faction of society, which would be why somebody would go on Alex Jones. To me, you're hurting your brand. You're hurting your reputation. You're damaging your reputation by having anything to do with Alex Jones whatsoever. Because he's actually, two fundamentally different questions. Well, they're not. Because in fact, this is the guy who's propagated. I invited him on my podcast, and in that particular instance, I gave him an opportunity to say what people should listen to. This is actually what respects everybody. What did he say? He said he was wrong. So he said he came on. We sat in a conversation just like this one. He said he was wrong, and he regretted it. And so I think that this culture of creating. Why did you invite someone like? How many years did he beat the drum of? How Sandy Hook was fake, and the the children weren't really dead, and the parents were crisis actors. How, how long did uh, Alex Jones beat that same fucking drum before he got sued, and, and then decided that okay, maybe I was mistaken? Who? Give me some examples of people you've. Who, who, have isn't you ever talked? Called, isn't it called truth? Have you ever What's talked? What's your podcast called? Truth. Truth. And so the you path to truth you have runs on, through free speech and open debate. So you have the worst liar in America. A man who calls... See, I don't believe in creating oh, obstacles to, let me finish, to who? Let me finish my character assessment of Alex Jones, yeah. right? I didn't make a character assessment. I'm about it. to make one yeah. of him, right? Because as you know, he was found guilty in October 2022 of defaming the families of the Sandy Hook victims after years... Which he did. He's, he was monetizing guilty. ...monetizing the lie that it was a hoax and the families of the dead were actors. He's been ordered to pay a collective $1.5 billion... Excellent. ...to the people who he so sickeningly defamed. There's you, a guy who wants to be president of the United States, inviting this guy. Saying that that was dead wrong. Come, was dead wrong. Now, my view, though, Pierce, and the whole premise of the podcast, all the people I've talked to Chris Christie said when he heard you, you did that, 
He said, I could care less what Chris Christie has to but say. He said he get that the hell to him was disqualifying the time. on his own. Well, I think it's disqualifying to anybody who believes that we have to preordain who we do and don't talk to. You give platforms to, to blatant conspiracy theorists to come on and talk about the truth. I think that part of the reason is what's a conspiracy theory yesterday is a truth tomorrow. Did you challenge him about Sandy Hook? I did, and I told you what he said, actually. For, I, as far as I know, it's the first time I've heard it said. I think it was useful. He said it was wrong. He regretted it. He made a mistake. Mm. Human beings have made mistakes. It's not the first time he said it. He said it to me. Well, good. Well, yeah, he, he says he made a mistake, but does he really mean it? <laughs> I mean, what the hell? How many years did he keep saying it was true over and over and over and over again and, and giving, you know, what he considered proof? I mean, the guy's a batshit crazy liar. And, uh, you know, it's like saying, well, I'm going to have, and I hate to use a Hitler reference, but I'm going to have Adolf Hitler on my show. And uh, if he admits that killing, killing over six million Jews and uh, millions and millions of other people and trying to take over the world was wrong, then, uh, you know, people make mistakes. No. There's certain mistakes you can't come back from. And I think Alex Jones is one of those people. You platformed him? Yeah. Well, interesting, Pierce. I platformed why, him. Why would you do that? Because I spent the entire interviewing <laughs> interview going after him about his wicked lies. See, Pierce, and I also had a mother debate. of one of the victims on. Because I was on there at CNN. Open debate is good. When, when and that, I like you for that reason. Happened. I like you for that reason. But I think the American way is not to decide there's certain pariahs and people we don't talk to. Far left, far right. I mean, look, I went on the Young Turks podcast, something the Republican presidential candidate doesn't do either. I practice what I preach. When a protester shows up to my, I, I was in Iowa, crazy protester, just barges in in the back of the event. Security's taken her out. I said, bring her back, we'll give her the microphone. That's just how I roll. I believe it's the founding spirit of the United States of America that all ideas get expressed and the way we defeat bad ideas is through free speech and open debate. And, and so... Unlike others, Piers, I practice no, what I, I preach I with my own you've got to, Again, you've got to have some limits. I, don't, I disagree with that. Well, then, with, with respect to the expression of opinions. Viol um, I, I don't think you should have limits on how other people should express their opinions. Um, I, I do, and I think other people should have limits on who they'll engage with. And I would not get engaged with Alex Jones unless, like, I was, you know, unless, like, I was in a Pierce Morgan situation where I was going after them, him as hard as possible. This is a limit, right? I mean, I don't stand for violence of any form. But Alex Jones' lies did inspire people to commit acts of violence against these families. People it's turned true. up and threatened them. That's an act of violence. So he literally the expression of a heinous, violence the, with his lies. The, in, the, in, the expression of a heinous opinion is different than not, and it was taken to the court system. We have, right. I mean, the court systems have handled this. That's different from saying that somebody should not be talked to by a fellow American. I just don't think that's the American way. Let me talk to you about guns generally, because there's another horrible mass shooting. I don't think that people should be told they can't talk to people. I just think that there's certain people they shouldn't talk to. Yeah. In America, in the last few days, 18 people killed. Um, I saw your tweet response, and it was a very conventional Republican response to mass shootings, in which there are now so many you can almost hardly get over the one before, before there's another one. And it was all about mental health and this and this and that. The one thing you didn't... It's really important. Yeah, I know. It's, I not, know. it's not like a mental I health. Know. I mean, this is a real we, fundamental topic. Many other States. countries have mental health problems just at the same level that America does. The difference about America, almost exclusively of anywhere in the world, is that America has 400 million plus firearms in circulation. So when people are mentally unstable or sick, they have easy access to guns. And you didn't mention the word gun in your, in your statement. I was curious, why not? Do you not think... That's like saying that um, if somebody uses a car to mow people down, 
there was a guy that ran over a bunch of people, a black guy that ran over a bunch of people during a parade with his car. And so are we going to ban cars because people, you know, might run over a bunch of people in a parade? I would hope not. Guns play a part in gun massacres? Well, obviously guns, definitionally, per your, you know, mm. question somewhat tautological there, guns play a role in guns massacres. They don't play a role in massacres of think, other kinds. Do you think guns kill people? I think people kill people using guns and using other instruments to do it. Have you ever known so someone, I can give you my policy perspective you if you're someone, interested in that. Let me ask you. Have you ever known someone shoot someone? We'll let you indulge with whatever the, well, the, let me the, get the, the question interesting, right. clever framing you have. Let me get the up, question so. right. Yeah. Have you ever known, Do the clever flavor have ever known a human being shoot somebody dead without a gun? I, I, I know whatever the setup is, I'll give you whatever the... I lost track of it. Setup. But whatever the premise is... That's the question. I, guns have been... People have pulled the trigger of guns have killed people. I, I think let's just get that on the table. Yeah. Sure. What? Tautological, but... Let's, you don't let's, think you, the answer is... That's not a useful policy question. I'm, I'm curious. Look, as, as a British citizen who has a home in America, I can go and get a semi-automatic rifle very easily tomorrow yeah and i'm not even an american citizen i just have to apply for a hunting license give my american address and i'll, and I'll get yeah. access to any firearms i want i can i can kick myself up well you can also uh you can also defend your life and defend the lives of your family or you can disarm all the innocent people and leave them absolutely defenseless against criminals that are still going to have guns no matter what like ramble right legally what I can't do in America is buy a Kinder Surprise chocolate egg. They're banned on safety grounds. Well, I think that makes no sense. You're a very bright man. I'm a medical and food choice me, absolutist. Can you explain to me why it's deemed more dangerous that I should have a chocolate egg with a little toy inside it that might choke people compared to an AR-15 semi-automatic rifle that could slaughter a lot of people in a very short period of time? So I am a pro-freedom person, and so I'm not going to sit here and defend some other foolish restriction that the United States has on a million things that I'm generally against. But I can speak to the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment is not about a technocratic judgment about maximizing or minimizing the number of people who are killed. The Second Amendment is about something else altogether. It's analogous to the discussion we just had about free speech. It's a different value judgment. Yeah, it's it's the decision... Uh, no, free speech... They can say whatever they want to say. They can have any opinion they want. And other people don't get to dictate, and the government doesn't get to dictate what they say, what their opinions are. You know, we don't have a, a, a laws that say this, this speech is wrong, this, this uh, opinion is wrong, and you don't get to say it. That's not how it works. That's simply not how it works. As far as guns go... I have the right to defend my life and the lives of my family. You don't, you don't, uh, you, you don't protect people, innocent people, by taking their right to have a gun away to protect themselves. Uh, all that does is, again, make, it, make them vulnerable to criminals who will always have guns. Are there risks to allowing free speech? Yes, there are, but we bear those risks because that's who we are. Mm -hmm that we trade that risk off to say that's how we preserve freedom when it comes to the First Amendment. The Second Amendment makes a similar value judgment. The purpose of the Second Amendment actually wasn't to allow people to have the freedom to hunt. That's not what it's about. It was about repelling and keeping a foreign, in that case, started British yep. monarchy yep. at bay. 
It's like mutually assured destruction in the Cold War. Both sides have nuclear weapons. Well, that's how you assure a stable peace. It's a mutually assured destruction relationship between the citizens and their government, between the governed and their government. Right. That's what this is about. And so why is the United States of America still, for all of our imperfections, 250 years into this ballgame, still the place that when you open the borders, as sadly one administration has, people don't go running out, but they come running in. Why is it the country that still gives hope to the free world? One of the reasons why is the Bill of Yeah, that's the test. That, that to me is, is the big test on whether a country is free or not and how free they are. And people can criticize the United States all they want and they can nitpick and they can constantly criticize and you know, try to tear down the United States. But the fact is, is that when we open the borders, people, people risk their lives and die trying to get into this country. Not only do people try to get in from Latin America, Mexico, Central America, and, and um, yeah, Mexico, Central America, and uh, oh, South America, and places like Cuba and various other places. Not only do they try to get in there from that, but they also try to get in from Europe, including the UK. In fact, I saw, oh, I forget what show it was, but it was this guy that from the UK that lived here, worked, and sent for his family to come, you know, pretending they were just coming for a visit. They were stopped and, and come to find out that they had planned on coming and just living with, with, the, with the man and, and never going back. And they were prevented from doing that. So it's not just the, you know, Latin America. It's all over the world. China, uh, the UK, Germany, everywhere, Russia. These people want to come here. They're desperate to come here. Now, if America is such a horrible place, why would you be desperate to come here? Well, look at the economies and look at the, the oppressive laws of those other countries. And the Second Amendment is the one amendment that gives teeth to all of the other amendments in that Bill of Rights. So that's a value judgment we make. The Second Amendment was not written with the question of what minimizes the number of deaths. No, those are other policies. It was, you could arm yourself as part of a well-regulated militia and then... Over time, actually, until the 80s in America, it was considered by the Supreme Court to mean just that. And then as the NRA got more political and became less apolitical, um, some hardcore Republicans got onto the uh, board of the NRA. They then put pressure on the Supreme Court, which they eventually were successful in doing, in reframing the interpretation of the Second Amendment to mean an individual right to bear arms. And what has I think the history is a lot more complicated. But what has happened, and it may be a complete coincidence. I'll say it again, I have the right to defend my life and the lives of my family. What has happened since that reframing of that interpretation is that the number of mass shootings in America has begun to skyrocket. And they didn't well, used to happen in anything like these numbers I think I think we before. can debate so the my data. Question, you're a smart guy, right? There yeah. are 400 million plus guns in circulation in America. It's not for me to tell Americans how to lead their lives. It's not for me to tell you what laws you should have. You and your president, this is a major issue you're going to have to confront. I can guarantee you that every month, every six weeks, there will be a mass shooting of some significance that will command your response. And every month, a million new guns will be sold in America, adding to the total that are available. You know, it's kind of like trying to take the pee out of the pool. There's so many guns in our society that even if we wanted to ban guns, it wouldn't work. And if you really, really want to cause a civil war in the United States, try completely banning guns. Try implementing the laws of the UK 
or Australia or somewhere else and, and taking away our right to uh, defend ourselves and see how that turns out. And you're going to get, as the population increases, more mentally ill people too. To me, it's just a never-ending, worsening cocktail. So my question really is, what do you do about... They talk about the mentally ill. Was it the late 80s, early 90s? They shut down all the... uh, They eventually, slowly but surely, shut down all the mental facilities. That should have never happened. All the mental hospitals were shut down. All the government mental hospitals. That should have never happened. Because you turned them into homeless and you turned them into crazy people living, living at home. And you caused a lot of this problem by doing that. If, if no part of the solution involves guns, how do you ever expect it to stop? So I think that in the data that you cited, a lot of confounding variables, one of which is the rise of mental health crises in this country. You can look at data points over certain periods where before you really saw a rise in violence, you could see per capita gun ownership being about flat over mention, the same period mention that, metal, that the, the mental hospitals. killings rise. One of the biggest explanations is the shuttering of psychiatric hospitals. There we go. There we go. You got to draw the lines of correlation. There are many ways to draw lines through a scatter plot. Over the same period that you saw the shuttering of psychiatric institutions, you saw almost a direct inverse correlation in the other direction in the rise of violent crime in this country. Exactly. We should have never, never shut down those psychiatric hospitals. That was, that was one of the biggest mistakes we've made uh, in this country. And so, yes, I do think that is a major issue that we need to address, among other things, by bringing back those mental health institutions, allowing people to communities to be able to, under certain conditions, involuntarily commit somebody who is psychiatrically ill and poses a demonstrable danger. But this to guy just did a little shooting. That's exactly what happened. He was admitted to a. a, a clinic. He should have remained. Committed. He said he was hearing voices. He actually said, "I'm going to do a mass shooting." He sh- then he should have been committed and, and kept there. Have remained committed. And he was allowed to go home where he had legally well, that, there's acquired the firearms. Yeah, but, but that, I know, therein I agree. lies the mistake. In yeah. that case, I think in every case, if you look at the circumstances. Yeah, and, and so if you're looking at trends, in every case it's lo- different. The, the, I, I think that, someone who loves America and loves Americans, I just see this as such an extraordinarily bizarre fault line. Yeah. That when, when, for example, Osama bin Laden attacked America on 9-11 and killed three, around 3,000 people in the World Trade Center, Everything changed, right? There was an absolute visceral determination by America to not let that happen again. And we, and, made, and made, we made some bad mistakes oh, yeah, made, in the aftermath of that. I agree. The Patriot Act and I everything agree. else on down. And I flew here, for example, from New York to see you here in Vegas, and the amount of regulations that are now involved in flying, it changed irrevocably after 9-11. And I would say, good, right? I feel safe. And not just for the purpose of convenience, though. No, for safety. But it's for the purpose of, no, 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 but I'm going the other direction. I think those were mistakes we made. The surveillance you don't think, you think, would the you allow people to get on, on, on planes with guns? I mean, the, the idea that the TSA is doing anything, but I mean, these checks, they're garbage. That doesn't make you, a difference. Would you make it? Doesn't make an iota of a difference. It's saying, show. It's for show. Are you saying you wouldn't restrict people from taking firearms on, on planes? I mean, I'm just talking about a, pri- a, a hard fact it, here, Pierce. No, people should know this. People should know this. No, literally, no, people no, are allowed to right now. If they're allowed it to. It happens already right now. No, private no, aviation. They're not allowed literally, to. Literally, of the thousands no, of no, private flights that are happening every day. It's a farce we create. In the airports, it's a show. It's the a max, Potemkin village the of safety. standards on private planes are a different issue. But on commercial, but my whole point on is commercial passenger flights, at the moment, it's illegal for people to take firearms on board a plane. Would you let them do it? I don't think the people should be taking... Is it an infringement of their Second Amendment rights? So They shouldn't be able to have guns in the, in the, in the passenger cabin. Definitely not. Definitely not. 
Um, but you should be able to pack up your gun uh, in the lockbox and have it stored on the plane with the luggage or, or maybe not just with the luggage, but like the specific part of the, the luggage uh, compartment. Pierce, is it? The, the, the surveillance state is the real problem after 9-11. I get it. Okay. What's the answer to my question? I think people should be able to check it in, in the cabin. That's the answer. Really? Check it in. Yeah, you can't access it. What's the risk? You would allow Americans to just take, well, actually anybody. Check it in. in, the, in the, I can go in get my gun and just take it on board. Not in the passenger section of the cabin. In the check-in section of oh, the cabin. There you in go. In the hold. Yeah. Like they can't access it while they're on Not the Not actually in the cabin. cabin. It, it, check in. Not in the cabin. You know, carry on. You're checking back. But this is getting very pedestrian very quickly. It is. And I think the question, you, there's a deeper philosophical question. I'm actually point. more curious on a human And the level, philosophical question is. How do you stop is, all the mass shootings? Well, first question is, who's committing the mass shootings? People who are severely psychiatrically ill. There's a stat. Something 18 out of 20 of the people who have committed the last number of mass they're shootings. They're mainly young. Grown up in fatherless mainly households. Mainly young men. Right. Who grew up in unstable family and environments. And disenfranchised from society. Yes. Uh, but so address also, the underlying but issues. But they're also almost invariably able to acquire very high power. So I, I don't want to keep I don't want to keep beating the same drum and being a broken record. But again, reopen the psychiatric hospitals. Reopen the psychiatric hospitals. And keep people in that, that say things like they want to do a mass shooting. People that say that kind of thing need to be in there for a long time, not for a short time, but an extremely long time, if not permanently. Uh, you know, obviously it's a case-by-case -case basis, but it, the, the, it should be very important to keep people in that, that pose those kind of dangers. In my estimation, I know some... So go after the cure. Don't go after the symptomatic I'm not therapy. after the... People the cure. Get to the root cause. And you, and you started talking about it. You're right. You understand, it tells me you understand No, this. no, I do understand it. And I'm, not disputing, any, I'm not disputing any of the root causes you're putting forward. But like, so, get to, and, and let's, so let's have the courage to address those root causes. Because anything else is a diversion. It's going to show up somewhere as else I said to Donald if you address Trump, the symptom. As I said to Donald Trump, I would love a Republican politician. Because in Britain, we have very few guns. And when we've had gun outrages, nobody's taken a political view right or left. They just didn't do it. Yeah. It's like we had, we had 16. Well, Britain's a very different... Yeah, you're anti-gun, period. Country and as somebody who we says, don't have the guns, I agree. You say, but you, this is this is I'm enjoying this discussion, Pierce. You say you love the United States of I America. Do. I'm glad to hear that. I just want to make sure you really me, know. Right? No, no, no. I, <laughs> Alex Jones tried that. Uh, I, I, he I, failed. I, actually, Barack Obama saved me for the nation. Not my style. True story. What, what is that? Alex Jones got a petition up to have me deported. Okay. After my views of after Sandy Hook. Well, I believe in free speech. And open Barack Obama was president. It was a White House petition. It reached the number that required a response from the president. I was live on air when I was told Barack Obama has saved you for the American people. I'm not entirely sure the American people were massively grateful at the time, but I was grateful to the president. Is that why you like him? I liked his... You know what he said? <laughs> and you'll love this. He said he was... He's your, he's your he's he's upholding, star of diplomacy. He was upholding Maybe that's my rights him. to the First Amendment. So, uh, <laughs> if only he applied that standard even-handedly when he weaponized the IRS to go after conservatives. <laughs> exactly. The, the Democrats are now weaponizing different uh, elements of the government, different factions of the government, to go after conservatives. I might even give an iota of credit, but that, back to the question of your love of America. Yeah. I mean this in a, you know, we're having a, I'm not even going to caveat what I say. You've been pretty free with me, I'll be free with you. Please do. Keep my nose out of it. I, I, no, 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 no. Which I totally understand. No, 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 no. That's, that's, a, that's a cheap comment. I, mm. Just make sure you know what you say you love.
right? Because I think that there's parts of the United States of America, like the essence of who we are, not some fringe feature, the soul of the United States of America that I think make you a little uncomfortable. I think that's the truth. I mean, the idea that anybody gets to express their opinion, no matter how heinous that opinion, the idea that you get to own a firearm for the express purpose of holding the government at bay, I think those ideas make you uncomfortable. I think those ideas make a lot of people uncomfortable. You may be right. I think those ideas make a lot of people uncomfortable. And this is something that I have to then admit as an American, and I admit it and I embrace it, like a badge of honor. The American ideals, the American revolutionary ideals, they're not moderate ideals. Okay, so, you know, I don't think, I mean, maybe it might come to that sometime in the future. Who the hell knows? There's a lot of crazy things, transgender and everything else that's, that's come down the pike that I never saw coming. But uh, I, I think that the, the main thing is, is not to defend ourselves against the government, which, again, that might, it might come down to that in the future. Who the hell knows? But I think the main, the main uh, my main point of having a gun and carrying a gun and having firearms in general is to protect my life and the lives of my family and other people's lives. If they're being robbed that I'm there or whatever the case may be, being kidnapped, whatever, whatever the, whatever the horrible crime might be, I think that I have a right to do that and I think that everybody should have a right to do that as long as they're not a felon and as long as they're not mentally ill. Obviously. They are radical ideals. You know what? I actually, They're extreme ideals. They, that is this. what makes America itself. I'll say this. So make sure you love that. And, I, I, and if you do, I, I'm, I'm thrilled. I love your honesty in saying that, actually. I do. Because we're going to call it out. That's I'll, what it is. I'll give you that. And I'll also say that there are obviously things about the culture of my country which Americans find inexplicable to. Right? So I get it. It's, yeah. you know, I, I've been down this road many times because I take it very, I don't know, viscerally, I think, when I see these massacres. I hate seeing them, especially the school shootings. As a human being, my visceral reaction is... And it's the old irons. Yeah, it's, it's horrible that these mass shootings happen. But there's other ways to eliminate them or extremely minimize them than taking the right to self-defense away from innocent people. Sad one, too. You know, in reverse, really, it's like the, the idea to me of total insanity is that you do nothing and nothing and nothing and nothing expect a different result. But you're assuming that that was the purpose of the thing in the first place. No, well, it was a very different purpose. I totally agree. The purpose was keeping the government at bay. I know. But I don't think that's what's now behind all these mass shootings. I think it's a different... different... But, but, but I mean, you're a smart guy. Like, so I think I want to just track something you said. Your response to what happened in the aftermath of 9-11, mm-hmm. I, I think you didn't get to fully completing, we went on a different strand, but to complete it, I think you were kind of painting that as a good thing. And I was pointing to the same no, no, set no, of facts no. and describing it as a bad well, let thing. let me explain. Let me explain. I was the editor of a major national newspaper in Britain, yeah. which vehemently opposed the Iraq war. And we were the left of center newspaper that Tony Blair, the leader of the Iraq war, you mean? We opposed the Iraq war. He's in Iran, yeah. Well, I did, He's no. in Iran, no big deal. No, yeah. no, Iraq. 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 Yeah. Yes, get it right. Opposed the Iraq war. And, uh, and I'm very proud to be a part. I think it was a devastating mistake for on the completely false pretext of Saddam Hussein having weapons of mass destruction, which... I, I think that they thought, yeah, they may have been motivated by the fact that uh, Iran and Saddam Hussein, uh, Iraq, well, I'm doing it now. Iraq and Saddam Hussein sent two assassins to try to kill George H.W. Bush um, at Camp David, which was the, which is the place that presidents go to relax. 
So I think that might have motivated us, you know, obviously to a lar- to a certain degree. I don't know about a large degree, but to a certain degree, the fact that he was firing weapons at no-fly zones that were th- there to protect innocent po- por- portions of the uh, the Iraqi population, like the Kurds, um, he was firing. You know, he was breaking um, our agreement by firing weapons at, at the planes. Um, and, and I think that, you know, at one point he did have, in fact, I know for a fact, at one point he did have weapons of mass destruction, not nec- not nu- nuclear weapons, but biological and chemical weapons, because he used that in the mid eighties against, um, against the Iranians in, in that, in that five-year war between Iraq and Iran. I believe it was a five-year war. I could be wrong, but I believe it was five years. Um, somebody's welcome to correct me on that if I'm wrong. So, but they did they did use weapons of mass destruction against the Iranians, and so I think that I don't think it was a lie. I think they believed that uh, there was a very good chance that it was more than likely that he did have weapons of mass destruction again, biological and chemical. And so everybody's decided that it was a lie, but I, I don't think so. Or having anything to do with 9-11, which I they lied about. Nothing to do with it. I, I, lied think, about I think it's a different argument about Afghanistan. And I have, listen, I have my brother was a serving British Army officer, served in Iraq and Afghanistan, as did my brother-in-law, a lot of military in my family, served alongside Americans, right? So uh, I have a lot of vested interest in that. Um, America, I understood the distinction of, in that case, clearly Al-Qaeda were using Afghanistan as a place to plan terror attacks against mm-hmm. the United States. I understood you have to go and get them. It's not dissimilar, actually, to what the argument you're seeing used by Israel now with Hamas. And it's incredibly difficult and very complicated. I don't know how you go and get terrorists who are surrounded and embedded with civilians without killing a lot of civilians. And it's a moral quagmire, which I don't think anyone can satisfactorily answer, actually. There's a different dimension of this response that I, I was wondering if you had a view on. I do is the adoption of the Patriot Act, right? The restrictions on our freedom, spying on our conversations. Yeah, there's, I don't think there was anything wrong with the Patriot Act. I just think it went too far. I think it was abused. Um, and I think that's been proven. Through Snowden, although Snowden, why would Snowden go to Russia? You know, why would he give up our secrets to uh, uh, some of our enemies and some of our allies? You know, what was the purpose in that? Except for to be spiteful. The idea that somehow because two people have a telephone conversation, but it's a post 9 11 era, the government can listen into that without a warrant. I reject that. I think those were mistakes. And I think you and I have a different worldview where well, I think the arbiter be would be does that, does, if, if the sole question is how many lives are saved, you might come out in one place. My response. If the separate question is what are our founding principles of who we are in this country? No, I you come out in a different place. I get that. And so whether it's the First Amendment or the Second Amendment, or in that case, the Fourth Amendment, I think that whether or not you and I have different views, the only thing I would say is I want more people loving the United States of America. So I, I, you know, I value the U.S. Constitution. So that, I think that's the difference. I value the U.S. Constitution. I don't want the U.S. Constitution being changed. You know, you can't no longer have guns. You can no longer have freedom of speech or freedom of the, sp- the press. Even though I, I'm to the point where I don't, I despise the press and don't trust them at all. But I, I just think that 
the U.S. Constitution is is very important. It's it was it gives us a, a moral compass. It gives us an ethical compass, and it at least somewhat keeps the government in line. But I'd rather at least most people know the United States of America and decide they disagree with it than to think they love it but realize that the actual thing is something different than they imagined. Okay, tell and, me. And tell I, me. I personally think the radicalism of the American Revolution is a beautiful thing. That's how I think we're going to unite this country. But it's not going to be about pretending that those are moderate ideals because they're not. Okay. Tell me who wrote this after January the 6th. It was a dark day for democracy. The loser of the last election refused to concede the race, claimed the election was stolen, raised hundreds of millions of dollars from world supporters, and is considering running for executive office again. I'm referring, of course, to Donald Trump. I wrote those words in my book in the same juxtaposition to Stacey Abrams filling that gap. You stand gap. by them? So, look, I think that... Here's you, what I, you went on to say Trump what, delivered another tale of grievance. Yeah, here's what, no here's one what likes say. a sore loot. Okay, you asked him a question. And as, as he starts to answer the question, you ask him a follow-up question, and you talk over top of him. One of the worst victimhood complexes of all said his claims about the election were weak. So here's my point. What he did was downright abhorrent. Let him you, respond. Do you stand by all that stuff he said about Trump and generally say? The reason I have a different view today is that they have been going after him. So there's a time and place to say something, okay? I tend to not say what everybody else is saying at the time. And part of the reason is what needs to be said needs to be said when it's hard, not when it's easy. But I think you were right to say it at the time. I said the same thing. I fell out with him over it well, at the so, time. So, so I, would have, I would have done things very differently. I would have done things dramatically differently. And I will note to you, I'm running for president but in the same election as Trump. Just to be clear. But against the backdrop of him think, not being prosecuted you, for this, I think it's, I take the other side of this. To you say don't that think he had the election stolen, do you? Well, I think that, to, 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 to tell you the truth, were the election stolen? It was stolen hmm. in a different sense of the word. Right, and, and we can go into this if you want. Big well, I think it was stolen as, as Trump claimed as well. algorithms and the I think that's a very interesting point. I think that that's, that's really I, where the real issue as is. As I said to him on interview, Pierce, shut the fuck up. You're you're like Bill O'Reilly. Shut the fuck up and let your guest answer the goddamn question. Yeah. I said you're fighting the wrong storm election claim. <laughs> yeah. Said, what do you mean? I said, well, when the New York Post story exposing Hunter Biden's laptop. I mean, that was the real issue. That was actually, would have changed the outcome. When that was basically vaporized by big tech yeah. to protect... Dirty Biden's tricks. And, and you and I both look at the same polls. Those would have changed the result of the election. It could have changed. So there's evidence of a potential storm election. So on that, I kind of agree. Yeah, that's what, I that's just, what I've said all along. I, but that's not... And here's, and here's the other thing not, I would that's say. That's not the position he takes. Well, yeah, it's fine. And we are allowed to have different positions. My position also is the 2016 election was the real election that was decisively stolen from Trump. The one that he won. For sure, decisively, everyone agrees with you. Because he wasn't allowed to govern with an impeachment. How are you going to be every time he gets indicted? Yeah, people go on and on and on about how Trump never built the wall. He didn't do this, he didn't do that. It's very difficult when the entire government, not just the Democrats, but also the Republicans, are trying to undermine every single effort that you make. It makes it extremely difficult, if not impossible. And that's exactly what happened. The first time, even though he got the Republican nominee, uh, people were talking about not uh, not giving him the nomination, even though he won the Republican primary. And then, uh, you know, he beat Hillary, and but uh, it was close. You know, there was people trying to say that he didn't deserve the nomination, even though he won. That's an extraordinary situation. Well, and I think these, the... these politicized, if I just finish my oh, thought, finish the these indictments are wrong. Okay, but all of them? I think all of them so far are wrong. He's, he's Mother Teresa? I don't say he's Mother Teresa, but he's not a criminal. So nearly 100 criminal charges, they're all baseless. So the ones I've read, I mean, those are four indictments we're talking about. I read each one thoroughly. Okay. Okay. 
Each one innocent is using. Each one is using a novel legal theory. So, so even innocent assumes that the thing that's even being alleged. Is you a genuinely crime. believe he's innocent of everything he's been charged with. I think we can talk through each one. And I yes, I believe the answer is innocent because the legal fiction of the charges themselves are made up interpretations of the law that have never been used in this country. How are you going to beat him? By convincing voters that I have fresh legs, I am from a different generation, and we're in the middle of a war in this country, and I do believe that. We're in the middle of a war between those of us who love this country and our founding ideals. But Trump loves the country. And th- we're all on the same side of this war, right? We're all, Trump, myself, etc. I don't think many independents and some Democrats are on the side of this war. Those of us who love this country and our founding ideals and a fringe minority, and I do believe it's a fringe minority, who hate the- I'm not sure it's that much of a fringe. I think most leftists to a certain degree, uh, if not the majority, I think, well, if not the majority, I just said most, which would be the majority. Wow. Anyway, I think I think the majority of leftists do. Uh, they're at least either uh, indifferent towards the United States, if not against the United States. This country and our founding ideals. That's the real divide. I think of the whole... And so how am I going to beat him? Yeah. How am I going to beat the rest of the Republican field? The question is... Who is the right general to now lead us to victory in that war? Well, here's one of the tricks. Half the people on the other side of that war, Pierce, are people younger than me who never learned those ideals in the first place. We could bring them along, too. Now we're talking about somebody who has not been wounded in that war. I have fresh legs. I am 38 years old, five years older than Thomas Jefferson was when he wrote the Declaration of Independence. Excellent point. Five years older than Thomas Jefferson when he wrote the Declaration of Independence. The idea that you have to be in your 60s or 70s or at least 50s to be a, a, uh, an intelligent, wise person just simply isn't true. I'm not saying that age doesn't help, but it's not the end-all, be-all. But less than half the age of the other people who are running, many of them. So I believe I have an ability to take our America First agenda to the next level. And honestly, God, I would love Trump as an advisor, as a mentor, telling me exactly where the bodies are buried in the administrative state or otherwise, to be able to go further. He rolled that log over. We saw what crawled out. Well, Trump may fill that role in the future, but he's going to win the president. He's going to win the Republican nominee and hopefully the presidency. I think he will. But who the hell knows? But I think he will. I'm bringing the pesticide. I've thought of him as a mentor. I don't think he would take the VP job. I haven't asked him. I'll keep it on the list. But I think that I think it's out? highly unlikely that Are he would accept that. Are you tempted to run out and commit a lot of crimes to get indictments to get your poll numbers up? I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to wrap up very soon. But I'll just do a few little quick. And, 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 the, and the truth is, Pierce, I just think it's really important that again you understand this. I think you understand. This. I'm not mean to be preachy, but there is a difference between making a bad judgment and committing a crime. Yeah, and I think it is Huge a danger to our liberty. I'm not saying when we start criminal. to conflate those. Oh wait, I'm yeah. not saying it's a criminal. And have I'm you read those indictments? It is an extraordinary state of affairs where someone can face that volume of. It drives me crazy when people say George W. Bush is a liar instead of just being wrong. You can be wrong and not be a liar, but of course, people that despise or the enemy of the other person is always going to equate them being wrong to being a liar. Criminal indictments. Yeah, and I think and ex- poll numbers keep going up. I mean, in England, that candidate would be dead and buried after the first barrage of them, right? I, I think However that, unfair I mean, they may that, be. That's on the politics of it. I think that the reality is the opposite here is 
the fact that all of these indictments are coming at the same time right as he's running for office using novel legal theories not a coincidence I think a, lot, I think a lot of that has, has merit has to I do think, with the fact that he's running I think they're over-egging the souffle as yeah. I would say the opposition I think they're, they're just determined one way or another they're not going to let him Trump, run you ever talked to yeah, they've decided that Trump's not going to run, and he's not going to win. Whatever they have to do, both fair and unfair, legal and illegal, they're going to do whatever it takes. They're using what's called lawfare, which is manipulating laws against your enemies. I've talked to him a few times. Yeah. When was the last time? Oh, it's been a while. Yeah. How long? Before the first debate, easily. Yeah. Do you think he should have, is he being a bit gutless, not getting on that stage? I think as long as he's this far ahead, I kind of get it. But I hope that why would he get on the stage? To have open discourse in this race, but you don't debate when you're that far ahead. When you're fifty points ahead of your nearest rival, you don't debate. You know, it's like you know, the NBA playoffs. The team that's you know number one by a stretch gets a bye. You know, we're about to have the third debate. I, you know, I'm focused on making sure that I'm the clear second before I'm been very confronting good. I the debate. I think you're a great energizing force in the race. I've said this to you from the very start. This after January the 6th. It was a dark day for democracy. The loser of the last election refused to concede the race, claimed the election was stolen, raised hundreds of millions of dollars from loyal supporters, and is considering running for executive office again. I'm referring, of course, to Donald Trump. I wrote those words in my book in the same juxtaposition to Stacey Abrams filling that gap. You stand gap. by them? So, look, I think that... Here's you, what I, you went on to say Trump what, delivered another tale of grievance. Here's what, no here's one what likes a sore loser. One of the worst victimhood complexes of all said his claims about the election were weak. So here's my point. What he did was downright abhorrent. Do you, I mean, do you stand by all that stuff you said about Trump and January 6th? The reason I have a different view today is that they have been going after him. So there's a time and place to say something, okay? I tend to not say what everybody else is saying at the time. And part of the reason is what needs to be said needs to be said when it's hard, not when it's easy. So I think you were right to say it at the time. I said the same thing. I fell out with him over it well, at the so, time. So, so I, would have, I would have done things very differently. I would have done things dramatically differently. And I will note to you, I'm running for president but in the same election he, as Trump. Just to be clear. But against the backdrop of him not being prosecuted for this, I think it's, I take the other side of this. To you say don't that think he criminal. had the election stolen, do you? Well, I think that, to, 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 to tell you the truth, were the election stolen? It was stolen in a different sense of the word. And, and we can go into this if you want. Big tech. Google and other search algorithms and the censorship information. I think that's a very interesting point. I think that that's, that's really actually, where the real issue as is. As I said to him when I interviewed him, I said, you're fighting the wrong stolen election claim. Yeah. Said, what do you mean? I said, well, when the New York Post story exposing Hunter Biden's laptop. I mean, that was the real issue. When that was actually, would have changed the outcome. When that was basically vaporized by big tech yeah. to protect the Bidens and Trump's And election. you and I both look at the same polls. Those would have changed the result of the election. It could have changed. So there's evidence of a potential I agree with election. That. So on that, I kind of agree. Yeah, that's, that's just, what I've said all along. I, but that's not, and here's, and here's but that's not, that's not the position he takes. Well, yeah, it's fine. And we are allowed to have different positions. My position also is the 2016 election was the real election that was decisively stolen from Trump. The one that he won. For sure, decisively, everyone agrees he won. Because he wasn't allowed to govern Vivek, with an impeachment inquiry. How are you going to be, every time he gets indicted, I mean, it's quite it's an extraordinary situation. Every and I think these, these politicized, if I just finish my no, thought, finish these question. indictments are wrong. Okay, all of them? I think all of them so far are wrong. He's, he's Mother Teresa? I don't say he's Mother Teresa, but he's not a criminal. So nearly 100 criminal charges, they're all baseless. So the ones I've read, I mean, those are four indictments we're talking about. I read each one thoroughly. Okay. Okay. Each one Innocent is using... Each one is using a novel legal theory. So, so right. Each one is using a novel, novel legal, legal theory that has never been used before in the history of the law of the United States. It assumes that the thing that's even being alleged is You genuinely crime. believe he's innocent of everything he's been charged with? 
I think we can talk through each one. And I yes, I believe the answer is innocent because the legal fiction of the charges themselves are made up interpretations of the law that have never been used in this country. How are you going to beat him? By convincing voters that I have fresh legs. I am from a different generation. And we're in the middle of a war in this country. And I do believe that. We're in the middle of a war between those of us who love this country and our founding ideals. But Trump loves the country. And th- we're all on the same side of this war, right? Yeah, Trump loves the country, but that's not who he's talking about. And you know it. We're all, Trump, myself, etc. I think many independents and some Democrats are on the side of this war. Those of us who love this country and our founding ideals and a fringe minority, and I do believe it's a fringe minority, who hate this country and our founding ideals. That's the real divide. I think of the whole... And so how am I going to beat him? Yeah. How am I going to beat the rest of the Republican field? The question is, who is the right general to now lead us to victory in that war? Well, here's one of the tricks. Well, Donald Trump is the right general. You, you may be, and I think you are, the next um, best choice. Half the people on the other side of that war, Pierce are people younger than me who never learned those ideals in the first place. We could bring them along too. Now we're talking about somebody who has not been wounded in that war. I have fresh legs. I am 38 years old, five years older than Thomas Jefferson was when he wrote the Declaration of Independence. Exactly. But less than half the age of the other people who were running, many of them. So I believe I have an ability to take the America First agenda to the next level. This idea that you have to be in your... 50s or 60s or 70s to be wise enough and intelligent enough and knowledgeable enough to be a good uh, presidential candidate is a huge mistake. I think JFK was, what, 42 or 44 when he became president? And honestly, God, I would love Trump as an advisor, as a mentor, telling me exactly where the bodies are buried in the administrative state or otherwise. To be able to go further, he rolled that log over. We saw what crawled out. You thought about him I'm as bringing your the pesticide. potential VP? I've thought of him as a mentor. I don't think he would take the VP job. Although I haven't asked him. I'll keep it on the list. But I think that to I run think it's out? highly unlikely that Are he would accept that. Are you tempted to run out and commit a lot of crimes to get in diamonds to get your poll numbers up? I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Silly I'm question. Wrap up very soon. Just a, a few little quick. And, 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 the, and the truth is, though, Pierce, I just think it's really important that again you understand this. I think you understand. This. I don't mean to be preachy, but. There is a difference between making a bad judgment and committing a crime. Right. And I think it is a danger to our liberty. I'm not saying he's a criminal. When start to conflate those. Oh, wait. I'm yeah. not saying he's a criminal. And have I'm you read saying, those indictments? It is the extraordinary state of affairs. Well, if, if you question whether he's guilty on any of the charges that's been brought, you you kind of are saying he's a, he's a criminal. Someone can face that volume of criminal indictments. Yeah, and I think and his ex- poll numbers keep going up. I mean, in England... That candidate would be dead and buried after the first barrage of them, right? I, I think However that, unfair I mean, they may that, be. That's on the politics of it. I think that the reality is the opposite here is the fact that all of these indictments are coming at the same time right as he's running for office using novel legal theories that have never been I prosecuted think a lot of, before. I think a lot of that has, has merit. It has to I do think, with the fact that he's running. I think they're over-egging the souffle, as yeah. I would say, the opposition. I think they're, they're just determined one way or another. Do you ever talked to him? I've talked to him a few times. Yeah. When was the last time? Oh, it's been a while. Probably How long? before the first debate, easily, yeah. Do you think he should debate? Is he being a bit gutless, not getting on that stage? I think it's... Hell no, he's being a, a good strategist. He's not getting... Why argue when you're winning? When you're 50 points ahead of your closest rival, why the hell would you debate? As long as he's this far ahead, I kind of get it. But I hope that we have a chance to have open discourse in this race, but... You know, it's like you know, the NBA playoffs, the team that's, you know, number one by a stretch gets a bye. You know, we're about to have the third debate. 
I mean, I'm focused on making sure that I'm the clear second before I'm confronting the debate. I think you're a great energizing force in the race. I've said this to you from the very start. I've interviewed you in much shorter context many times. but We've sparred. We've had our fun. Yeah, but I like it. And also, I think you you get out there and you put yourself in the lion's den, which I respect. I do respect it. And I have to say, we haven't really got into it, but all the woke madness. Yeah. That's one of the things I really like about Vivek. I completely agree with you. I appreciate you saying that. The thing is, and this also about me is related to one of the other questions you were asking. I wrote the book Woke Inc. back when it actually was a risk to write that book. Yes, though. you did. Now, the reason I, I don't, I mean, I share all the same beliefs, but I don't. Woke Inc. <laughs> talk about it as much because, I mean, any Tom, Dick, and Harry can go criticize wokeness today, right? It's the new popular you thing to do. It's almost what the cool kids are doing. Yeah. The people who are doing it today were the people who are you too saw, afraid to do it in 2020. I think what I, I Exactly. People have grown some balls. Now that a few people like Vivek and some other people have spoken out against it. Absolutely respect about it. You saw the dangers of it. And you saw that it was becoming, under the guise of liberalism, it was becoming a new form of fascism. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you served a valuable public service. In- yeah, that's the interesting thing. Liberals, Democrats, they run around, leftists, they run around calling everybody fascist while implementing fascism. I feel it's beginning to turn. I, I think it is the, too. The majority of people are just sick and tired of it. Well, I think it, I think this election makes a big difference in that result. Just in terms of not even the laws we pass, there's some element of that. But just the tone of national character that we set in the country. Because if you think about what allows, you know, wokeness or anything like it to, to fester. It's, it's willing to tolerate. It's a deeper generational hunger for purpose and meaning. And I think it's been a long... When you're willing to tolerate any of the things that the so-called politically correct or woke people say, that's what encourages them, that's what emboldens them, that's, that has the snowball effect. When they try to that shit and you either you know, tell them to shut the fuck up or ignore them or both, then, uh, then that shuts them down immediately. You have to shut them down immediately. Time since we've had a president that has revived and spoken to our national character. And that's half the job. I mean, people grill on policies. That's just half the job. The other half of the job is, do you have an understanding of what our national character is? Mm. And then can you actually bring it back? Well, let me ask you about your character. And for young people, we're able to do that. Let me ask you about your character very quickly. How how rich are you? (laughs) It varies depending on the stock market. You know, a billion on a good day and, uh, you know, maybe 600 million on a bad day. U.S. dollars. Yeah. A billion on a good day. Yeah, maybe a little more than a good day. A billion on a good day. That's That's a really good day. That's an excellent day. Yeah, yeah. Did you like being a billionaire? I don't particularly relish the title. I am not one of these people that that's been a life achievement of mine. I'm thrilled that this country allowed me to achieve everything that I have. I'm proud of my accomplishments. I don't apologize for success, but I also don't fetishize green pieces of paper. I think sometimes it's something that leads people to deep unhappiness, and I've been around a lot of them, and I'm careful to make sure I don't become one of them either. We, We try to live in a way that, you know, maybe would reflect a fraction of that net worth in a way that actually hopefully allows our family to avoid some of the traps that some of my wealthier friends have fallen into. Okay. So, okay. So that's enough of that. He goes on to talk about how, how, you know, his Pierce Morgan asked him how his, him and his wife met and how he proposed and all that stuff. I don't know about you guys, but I couldn't give a rat's ass about uh, most of the personal lives of uh, politicians. I don't really care how he met his wife. I don't really care how he proposed. I don't really care how long they've been married. None of that matters to me. His political positions 
matter to me. And that's, that's almost it. That's almost the whole 100% of what I care about. Not, you know, any, any personal life detail bullshit. I'll leave that for the, for people that care about that, but I'm not one of them. So, and hopefully you're not either. Well, I hope you enjoyed the interview. I hope you enjoyed my commentary. And uh, I hope if you enjoyed this, if you're not already subscribed to my podcast, you subscribe so you can hear future podcasts. Many are coming up. And uh, I am a Vivek Ramaswamy. And apparently Vivek is how you pronounce his name. Vivek Ramaswamy um, fan. And even though I'm going to vote for Trump this election, my second choice, and I think my future choice, unless somebody else comes out of the the weeds that's uh, unbelievably good and better than Ramaswamy, and I don't, I just don't see that happening. Is uh, my next? Hopefully, he'll run in uh, the next election after 2024, and I will vote for him. I definitely will vote for him. I'll vote for him in the Republican primaries, and I'll vote for him in uh, in the general election. So. All right, folks, this has been your host, The Conservative Atheist. It's Conservative Atheist Podcast, and I appreciate everybody listening. Take care. One last thing before I let you go. Tonight, when you're laying in the dark, flat on your back, staring up at the ceiling, drifting off into sleep. I want you to repeat this mantra over and over and over and over again. The conservative atheist is always right. 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 And in the morning, when you wake up, you'll feel like a refreshed, renewed person. The sun will shine brighter. The air will feel crisper. The flowers will smell sweeter. The birds will sing your name. And all will be right with the world. And if not, maybe you're some jackass atheist, that some far lefty bigot that needs to pull his head out of his ass. All right, you knuckleheads, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening.